this week we have a triple whammy. Yes, a triple whammy of amazing guests. We have Vanessa Kirby talking Woo. about the world to come. We have Ficky Creeps. Woo. Surname open to negotiation in terms of pronunciation on old. And we have Olga Kurilenko <gasps> on that surprising appearance in Bangly Bang. Oh. Yeah, thank you. I need more O's. Uh, all that and more on the movie podcast that is so damn hot. Milk was a bad choice. It's always a bad choice, quite frankly, unless you're having it on your frosted wheats. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, uh, episode 474. <gasps> hey, but Chris, when are you doing episode 475? Hey, but Chris, when are we doing episode 475? Why, and thank where? you. Thank you, um, colleague of such lethal cunning whom I haven't actually introduced yet. Uh, thank you for asking. Um, we are doing episode 475 next week. <gasps> As a live show. We're doing it as a live show. We were meant to do 450 live and then COVID said fuck off. And so now we are back at King's Place, as usual, our spiritual home. And we're going to be doing episode 475, but it's also sneakily episode 450. There are still some tickets on sale for that right now. If you go to kingsplace.co.uk, you can pick up some tickets for that. And believe me, folks, it is going to be worth your while. We would like to see as many of you there as we possibly can. Anyway, plug over. It is time to introduce this week's two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Folks, I have to say that it's so fucking hot here that my window is open. So if there is some sound bleed, I I couldn't do this with my window shut. Otherwise, I would be a puddle. How is it for you, Geek Queen, Helen O'Hara? It's so hot. I have a fan, but I've had to turn it off because, you know, sound and stuff. Well, what's his name? Uh, uh, it's too hot for jokes. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. We're going to be fine. We're going to get through this. I have some cold water. What? Blowing on someone whilst tilting 90 degrees back and forth? I'm not a fan. How's the heat for you, James Dyer? Great big fucking nerd that you are. <laughs> only, Chris, only... In the hottest years I come, <laughs> and this year, it grows hot. Oh no, I was hoping he wouldn't do the accent, but then he did the accent. El que hace trofias de los hombres, the demon that makes trophies of men. That, that is me. not terrible pronunciation. And you know what? But he I only learned Spanish that on. from the film. Yeah, I, I know. learned it from Predator. So if James went to Spain, the only thing he could say is yeah. the, the demon, demon that makes, makes trophies, trophies of men. Yeah, that's 100%. I mean, you can pretty much do anything with yeah. that in Spain. It's yeah. fine. You know? The demon that yeah. makes trophies of men? Oh, the demon that's that makes trophies of men. That's what most British people try and do when they go to Spain. Yeah, exactly. HP sauce. HP, HP, eight chips. Yeah, yeah. I do feel a little bit like uh, sometimes we found our men, sometimes without their skins. I'm a bit, I'm, I've, it's honestly, I've gone a bit peculiar. I don't even feel like Predator. <laughs> I feel a bit Predator too, you know, like with like the haze oh. of LA where it's really sweaty. Mm-hmm. James, I just, you oh. have inadvertently in your bumbling fashion set up this week's listener question, which comes wow. from a number of people, a number of people. I put out the ask for questions and lots of people came back and said, Movies that accurately capture heat. Mm. Uh, so let's rule out heat, because heat's actually not about heat. But the movies that capture that sensation of, of sweaty warmth. Yeah. I can feel the sweat right now. It is, it is, it's going places, folks. It's going places. I don't want to say where, but... Please don't. Bumble, Just stop there. So, oh, the temporal taint. 
No. That's a special bonus for the podcast. Uh, spoiler special subscribers. Yes, indeed. Uh, so movies and Jimbo, you've you've mentioned. I mean, obviously, the the king of all this is Predator Two. Yes. King of all this is Predator Two. I mean, that's a sentence that shouldn't really be uttered. But the king Willie of all this is Predator yes. Two. Wow. Oh God. Yeah, I mean, it's a good shout though. Like that, you can't help but feel sweaty while watching that film. Like, there's no way around it. For yeah. many reasons. Yeah, you, could, you could help watching that film though. Like that would be an option. Why would you? you why could... would you not watch Predator Two? What sort of monster are you? Are you That's the true. demon who makes the trophies of men? No, but Predator exists. So if I'm going to choose a Predator film to watch, then you, you barrel know. straight into the superior sequel, don't you? <laughs> You just said that. You said that where people you could hear that. you. I'm yeah. only joking, yeah. and everyone knows I'm only joking. I mean, look, right. it's, no, it's a good film. I particularly like the part where uh, the predator rubs an ice cube over Danny Glover's skin, you know, to cool off. I, I, yeah, I <laughs> um, but Predator. Predator is genuinely one of these films that brilliantly captures the sense of heat, and it gets. It doesn't do that that fake sweating thing that The Rock, God love him did for some of the Fast and Furious movies where he would literally have, and Nick witnessed this with his own eyes when he visited the set of Fast 6, he would literally have people spray fake sweat on him before a take to get that Luke's Hobbesian. It's called water, isn't it? Fake sweat, it's called water. He, he just, like, generates so much heat from his enormous, like, body like steady, a Helen, stun. Steady, Like, I'm, no, you know my feelings on The Rock. They are not sexual. They're just like, he's a he's a natural phenomenon who must be appreciated. And I, I just feel like, like Mount Rushmore. Like, yes, I he's my Rushmore. Rushmore. He is the grand you want Mount Rushmore? Oh my god! No, You're watching what? DVDs wrong. No. <laughs> my point it's not being, what the hole in the disc is for. Oh no! <laughs> this heat's making us all horny, but wrong. <laughs> Excuse me, it did not make me horny or wrong. It just made you misinterpret what I was saying. Anyway, right. you haven't even said do the right thing yet, and we've been talking about this for a I good know, two we minutes. I know. Come on, about Predator first. Why, though? Because it's, it's got sweaty Island. men and they filmed it in the jungle. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Well, Predator, I will give you. Predator is a great depiction of sweaty humidity. But it's humidity. Like, are we talking about pure heat? Or are we talking humidity as well? I mean, is there a balance between the two that we should be trying to hit? It's dry heat. That's right. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's pure sweaty drippiness, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, like, the, the jungle in Predator does look super unpleasant. Yeah. Like, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll be honest with that. Pit stains all over the shop. Some of the jungle scenes in uh, Lost City of Z. Is it Lost City of Z? Yes. The, the, yeah. Or Zed, if you want. Zed, okay. Sure. The Lost City of Zed, some of the jungle scenes there look super sweaty and gross as well. Mm -hmm. Just like sweat stains on sweat stains on sweat stains. It's just oh. not a good look for anybody, um, even that cast. So those are those are pretty high up. Jungle, jungle heat looks just unpleasant and, and mm. difficult to, to cope with, you know? Yeah. But city heat is also unpleasant and difficult to cope with, as at least two of us can attest. City heat? You mean the Burt Reynolds Clint Eastwood movie? I do not mean that. No, I think you know that. I mean things like Do the Right Thing. I mean ah. things like Twelve Angry Men. Mm -hmm. This is an unpleasant way to be hot. And Predator Two, Helen. And Predator Two. And Predator Two, James. <laughs> and Predator Two. Mainly Predator 2, actually. I think Not if we really, want to focus on Predominantly. No. Predominantly no. Predator 2. What about Predators? I think Predators captures the, the sense of humidity of that alien planet. It doesn't feel as hot there, does it? Like, I, no. I actually just rewatched that the other night and I don't know why. It was it's very hot. Film, it? it was okay. Yeah. It was fine. Yes. Do the right thing by talking about do the right thing. Mm. Well, it's the kind of, it's the colors, first of all. It's that, those red, those oranges, like the color palette is extremely mm -hmm. heat making. But also, Spike Lee did things like literally put, I think, heaters in front of. Mm -hmm. 
the cameras so you'd get that haze you'd get that kind of yes. shimmer um, sweaty, sweaty haze. Sweaty, sweaty haze. Mm. Um, not to be confused with, you know, Isaac Hayes or anybody else, but like it's, yeah, it just looks boiling and sweltering yeah. and really unpleasant the whole way through. So you get this sense of literally building tension and building heat throughout the film. Mm. Have you ever been to New York in the in the height of summer? Summer of Sam is another great one. The, Some, mm, yes, he does, he yeah. does burn very hot. At, at that yeah. as well. Caption I don't mean hot, sexy hot. That'd be weird. No, no that'd be very strange. No. Uh, and also an Adrian Brody film. So what's yeah. it about Adrian Brody and sweating in movies? I mean, he does um, also sweat in King Kong. There's an Adrian Brody theme here. This is weird. Did not expect indeed. that. Hmm. Have you ever been to New York in the summer? No, I've been lucky enough to avoid New York in the height of summer. I have been to Rome in the height of summer, and I can tell you that was hellish. Really? Yeah. Oh, that is that is some sweatiness there, right? I mean, you you step out of the shower into your air-conditioned hotel room, you open the door of your air-conditioned hotel room. Obviously, you've gotten dressed in between, and uh, and then you need another shower. <laughs> it's really, really unpleasant. I've been to Death Valley in the light of summer. <gasps> Ooh. Uh, Did you get out and walk around? Genuinely, yes. Because so Death Valley's in between LA and Vegas, and we were doing a road trip to Vegas, and it was the middle of summer, and. Uh, and we were going through and they were like, oh, we have to turn off the air conditioner. I was like, I'm sorry, what? They said, because it can overheat the car yeah. engine because it's like 47 degrees. I'm like, I have to go Shit. out in this. They're like, are you nuts? I opened the door and it was like being smashed in the face with like a burning baseball bat. It was fucking unbearable. I managed maybe 10, 15 seconds and then fled back into the car. It was it I'm was surprised brutal. you did that much, yeah. to be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I've horrific. I've driven through Death Valley a couple of times and it is... Intense because you just go, please don't break down, please don't break down, please don't break down. Wrestling fans, of course, know that that's where the Undertaker hails from, ostensibly. Oh, there you go. Um, <sighs> that's that's good stuff. Uh, but yeah, that, that's probably the hottest I've ever been is in Vegas. It's where you, you're walking down the street and it's so hot, it's so close mm. uh, that you can't really move your arms because if you move your arms, <laughs> then sweat will uh, escape, and it's just it's awful. It's just, and that's of course what you know. That's you know, it's not why they built Vegas there, but it's part of the appeal of Vegas. That's why all the casinos are so air conditioned to try and keep you in there. And then you go out into literally 40 degree heat. Oh yeah, it hits you like a brick. Oh my God, it's not fun. But anyway, it's not a movie either, Sorry, is it? Yes. So let's talk about some of the other movies that really capture that sense of sweaty, sweaty heat. Something like lots of film noirs do it. I'm thinking mm. there's a modern Street film car. noir. Streetcar. Yes, oh, yes, yes. Marlon Brando is very sweaty in that. Mm. Very sweaty, yeah, he is, isn't he? Cool Hand Luke, actually, the chain gang yes. sequence. That always yes. makes me feel uncomfortably yes. hot. Rear Body window, heat. actually, there's a bit of sweat as well. Yes, yes there, is. there is. There's lots of sweat in Rear Window. Nine wow. and a half weeks. There are ways of getting cool in that film. There are indeed. They pop up in the fridge. and um, Indeed. Yes. None of that on this podcast. None of that. No, absolutely not. not uh, the Big Easy is a very mm -hmm. sweaty film. Body Heat is a very sweaty film. Very Apocalypse sexual. Now is very sweaty. Very, yeah, very, very much so. I've very been in, I've been Vietnam. in um, mm. New Orleans in the height of summer, and that New was that was. Yes, tough. It's New Orleans, Helen. New Orleans. I said New Orleans. No, you said New Orleans. It's not the same. You just don't sound like same. a native. Yeah, you haven't it's, got it right. I don't. You know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Look, okay. Helen. After my flawless Spanish earlier, I really don't think you should be critiquing my pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> oh really? Oh no. Airplane two. Airplane two and sunshine. <laughs> Sunshine. Sun, I mean, it's hard to get hotter than sunshine when you're on the actual sun. Yes, both accurately convey what it's like to be flying into the sun. There's, you know, there's that bit in Airplane 2 where they literally fry an egg, fry an egg on the uh, control panel. Mm. Actually, Charlie Sheen does that in Hot Shots. 
Well, he fries an egg on Filaria Galino, yes. which, is, which is different. <laughs> but yes, Sunshine, uh, who's the character that, who actually dies in that by deliberately exposing himself to the sun? I won't reveal his you name. never but... expose yourself to anyone, let alone the sun. <laughs> it's just rude and oh, frankly and also, illegal. Um, while we're on the subject, don't buy the sun, folks, either. Uh, and... <laughs> Uh, I'm going to mention also a film I've mentioned it before because I'm pretty sure we've done this this um, topic before, but perhaps not as much of a ramshackle fashion as we are right now. But the cracking Australian film *Wake and Fright*, which is just tremendous, directed by Ted Kotcheff. Mm. Uh, I think it's out now on Eureka Blu-ray. It's a great, great film starring Donald Pleasance. It's about a teacher who goes out to this one-horse town, and of course, lots of westerns. Lots of westerns of. Uh, correctly and yeah. uh, and accurately evoked a feeling of heat in yeah. movies, but he goes to this one horse town in Australia and basically gets trapped there. Uh, it's essentially purgatory, and it is incredibly hot. And they have they they but even so so they shot out in the outback, and it was so so hot. If I remember rightly, they actually brought in handfuls of like huge tons, well not huge jars of flies, and they would release them so that they're buzzing around. The extras and they're buzzing around the the actors and they're going into their mouth and their eyes. You really get that sense of a sweaty, oppressive heat. And that very quickly has brought me in mind of Raiders of the Lost Ark, mm-hmm. the beginning of it in particular in the jungle. And of course, at the end, you know, it's, it's a jungle movie, then it's a desert movie. It's a very hot film, and of course, uh, it is uh, very Paul hot. Freeman eats a fly. He does. Because he was yeah. so he was so hungry. Speaking of deserts, Lawrence of Arabia, yes. pretty damn freaking hot. Heat shimmer. Yeah, heat shimmer all the way. It's best, it's best known sequences built entirely around a heat mm-hmm. haze. It is. We also uh, forgot in the in the sort of hot cities uh, section. I would like to mention the seven year itch with Marilyn Monroe as the as the girl who's desperately trying to cool down by keeping her underwear in the ice box. We've all done it, <laughs> and rightly so. Can I just? Uh, I'm going to bring this to an end now, obviously. But I just <clears> want to. Th- I want to mention a film that has never conveyed a feeling of heat, or a film series that has never conveyed a feeling of heat, despite the fact that much of it takes place on a desert planet where its characters walk around dressed in toweling robes. It is, of course, Star Wars. Hmm. No one's ever sweating it on Tatooine. I think it was wearing fucking freezing, dressing robes. Like the deserts in Tunisia can be quite brutal. But, but it's not Tunisia, uh, James. It's Tatooine. Yeah, Tatooine oh, is that's, a totally that's different. A, that's a very play. good point. And also, they have two suns, so you'd think it would be yeah. pretty fucking hot. <gasps> Pitch black. Um, Pitch black. Pitch black is not a sweaty film. It's, it's a pretty hot sweaty. Film. That bit at the beginning where the guy's like drinking all his wine in the with his shade up to keep mm-hmm. cool. You'd never do that in because the suns are out. <gasps> Ice cold in Alex. Ice cold in Alex. Ice cold in Alex. With the oh. beer. Oh, that made my me God. want to drink. Flight of the Phoenix. Oh. Well, another cracking episode of Chris Remembers Films and Says Them Out Loud. (laughs) (laughs) I think on that note, we're going to draw that one to a close this week. Because we'll talk Dune later. Yes. Fucking hell. The ultimate desert movie. I've never been so glad to have a hard out. It's the only reason I'm here today. (laughs) Uh, But it is time now for our first guest this week, uh, a wonderful British actress returning to the podcast. Last time Vanessa Kirby was on the show, she was talking about Mission Impossible Fallout. This week's film is very different. It is the contemplative, very glacially paced romance, The World to Come, in which she co-stars alongside Catherine Waterstone and Casey Affleck. Now, uh, Vanessa is currently in Iceland rehearsing for a movie uh, with Jake Gyllenhaal. And of course, she was previously nominated this year for an Oscar for Pieces of a Woman. Uh, we spoke about that and all kinds of other things when I caught up with her on Zoom earlier on this week. So do please enjoy. 
We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the star of The World to Come, Vanessa Kirby. Uh, now, Vanessa, I have three questions for you. One, how the devil are you? Two, where the devil are you? And three, perhaps most importantly, what time do you call this? I know what time do you call this, Chris? And this is, I have to say, entirely my fault. I am, <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Although I'm good for 6.30 a.m. where I am right now. Uh, you can slightly hear it in my voice. <laughs> Perfect for a podcast. This is going to be so much fun. Neither of us know what time it is. We don't know which way is up. This is this is going to be awesome. Have you had a coffee yet? <laughs> I haven't. I haven't. So I'm going to blame everything on that. Anyway, it's 6.30 here in Iceland. Um, it's 6.30 in Iceland. So, okay, let's answer question two as well, which is where the hell are you? What, what, why are you in Iceland? What brings you there? Yes, I'm in Iceland. I got here yesterday. Um, I'm in Iceland to um, prep a movie uh, with lovely Jake Gyllenhaal, who's an old friend. And it's a it's a sort of survival thriller uh, written by Thomas Biddigan, who did the one, the beautiful Rust and Bone and A Prophet. And so it's sort of as brutal as you can imagine. And um, we're sort of in this hotel I, uh, outside. I mean, honestly, there's not a soul in sight um, for maybe like an hour's drive. <laughs> so we just, we're just going to start our first day of rehearsal um, in roughly half an hour, an hour or something. And, um, and we'll be in this hotel and then go out to locations. And, and it's, it's always that first day at school type feeling where you're sort of, everyone's a bit like, what have we done? <laughs> <laughs> what have we decided to do? Um, but here we are. And I'm just thrilled to talk to you. <laughs> there you go. Look at that. So we've answered all three questions already. So I'm, I'm going to let you go. Let's, that's it. That's that. Let's wrap that up. <laughs> no, one, no one cares what, what goes beyond that. <laughs> I'm, I'm experimenting in a new realm of podcast micro interviews where I just literally ask someone how the hell they are and then they answer and then they leave. The only thing about that though, Chris, don't you find is, I don't know if it's like, if it's mainly British people you're, you're asking, but doesn't everyone just say absolutely fine, even if they're feeling rotten? Yeah, no one's well, honest. Got some good answers. Yeah. Some answers. No, that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's that bigotry. Yeah, fine, good. How are you? It's like, no one ever say, actually, I'm feeling terrible right now. <laughs> and I'm having a really bad time. No one really says that. I don't know if that's such a good idea for a podcast. No, it's not. It's not great. Uh, although, you know, yeah, if someone went, if I'm honest, Chris, uh, I'm staring into the abyss. Uh, I don't know how I would handle that because my next question is usually tell me what attracted you to the project. And those two don't really go together. It turned into a slowly but surely it would turn into sort of um, therapy podcast, perhaps. See, I don't think I'm equipped for that. I don't think, you know, obviously interviewing is, is, is talking and chatting and we're all human. It's all about connections, but I don't have a background in psychology. I don't know if I could talk someone down from staring into the abyss. All I have is questions about, you know, working with Tom Cruise or what was Jason Statham like? That's all I have. That's all I am. I think that's, I think that's good territory though, to be honest. Perhaps that's just what, what everyone needs. I mean... Anyway, I, luckily I'm fine. I'm not staying into the abyss, so you can. It's, you don't have to worry this morning. We'll see after. We'll see after this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this has gone badly. If anyone at home thinks that Vanessa is staring into the abyss, she is not. I just want to make that absolutely clear. Landscape-wise, I am actually right now. But, oh, really? Um, but, but internally, I'm, I'm I'm pretty good actually. I've never been to Iceland. Uh, what's your experience of it so far? 
I came here on a school trip when I was 11 or so. It's, it's giving me slight memories of being stuck on a coach radius. I mean, yesterday I flew into Reykjavik and we had to drive six hours to the location of the hotel, um, the location for the film. And all the locations take place within the radius of this hotel. And I'm just thinking, oh my God, we're going to be, we're going to be together for sort of just under three months um, <laughs> in one hotel, probably eating breakfast, lunch and dinner. So everyone's going to have to strap in a bit, I think. Um, what was the question? <laughs> What's Iceland like so far? Uh, it's beautiful. I mean, my God, it's beautiful. It's 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 got a very small population. Apparently, there's more sheep here than people. Um, really? Yeah, someone told me that yesterday. Um, that's fair. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, it's very. I mean, it's a very kind of. I mean, it's hard. Like you said, you can drive for for an hour and really not see anyone. Um, it's it's that sort of landscape, but kind of rare, I guess, in that way. Yeah, and you're only going to be uh, yeah, stuck there for three months with uh, with Jake Gyllenhaal, um, and you're about to go into rehearsal, and that just that that that, that sparked a notion to me. So you know, you you've, you've rehearsed plays. How what's the is there a huge difference in the process when you turn up for for a film, which where obviously it's it's a little bit more perhaps you know the time frame is perhaps a bit more condensed. Sometimes you, I imagine you don't even have rehearsals on films. So uh, what, what, what is today's process like and how does it differ from things you've done in the past on the stage? Yes, that's very true. I mean, I think, I think often you have to really ask for it as actors, you know, and I, Jake, Jake and I have both done, we, we've known each other about eight years and, you know, we've both done quite a lot of theatre and so we both luckily come from a place where we really enjoy rehearsals. Don't, don't like turning up on the first day and just sort of fudging it, you know. And because it's only us two in this film and it's about a couple, um, uh, it's based on a, on a French book called Suddenly Alone uh, that a female navigator wrote about a couple that sort of get, get stuck on an island, but not a desert island, extremely bleak, um, you know, with, with, with only, the only sort of animals on it are sort of penguins and sea lions. And um, they have to find a way to, to survive, basically, mm. um, because they're both, goes missing um so because it's about a, a couple i guess the the crucial thing for for us is to make it um by the way i'm talking about someone i haven't even made it yet my yeah, God, it, might, it might be completely different in the end but um who knows uh you never know but um the the, the crucial thing is to really really for us as actors to to develop their natures and who they are and make make it kind of character study rather than just a survival thriller, you know, of which is mainly mainly sort of plot things that happen. Yes. So that's what we're here to do now. Um, but we we go away. I shoot a different film actually, and then I when we come back and we film this in September. So it's kind of like preliminary exploration. Ah. And just all being in a room together for a, for eight days and seeing what, seeing what goes down. That's exciting. Well, I wish you all the best. And uh, and and let's talk about a film you have done, <laughs> which is. Uh, I know. <laughs> all these hypothetical movies. Uh, I know, but well, I, I'm I'm like a I'm like a slow train around the country. I'll get you there in the end. <laughs> so eventually, we'll get to the world to come. Um, I guess as well, the, the the central relationship between your character and Catherine Waterston's character is is obviously hugely integral to the movie, and I imagine. I know you guys know each other and you're friends in real life and you have been for a while, but was that, did you also benefit from 
rehearsal time because that this feels like, again like a movie that was made in a very very focused time period very very focused location as well which must have which must have focused the mind yes it definitely did it and in fact funny enough walking to this hotel reminded me of that because we were staying in a completely uh yeah remote remote i mean utterly remote where there's no cars there's just horse and car of local people and not even a village really just sort of like a few sprinkled sprinkled houses and um a lovely man across the road who would sell like cheese and bread on the on the side of the road and that that he'd done that his whole life for something like 70 years just on this little road with a little cart so it really was it really did feel i mean oh you're so blessed when something like that happens in a film where this film is so about you know set in 1860 when people were so sort of isolated from each other and really um kind of shackled to the home particularly women um and having to you know, to, to survive really, just keep keep the household running or the farm running or whatever, which meant that, you know, you might have to walk an hour to see someone that you knew. And even then you weren't really allowed to, to choose um, how you spent your time, let alone who you loved um, as a woman. Yeah. So because we were sort of in this absolutely remote hotel and we were all together and then Mona Fassel, the director, decided to obviously build the, the houses for real in different valleys. So we really had to hike to get to them, which helped a lot because you just felt that, you know, you, you just felt it rather than being in a studio, you know, Chris, where it was sort of like, you know, just it just it just feels really claustrophobic and like we're in a film studio. It just was wonderful to sort of look out the window and feel that sense. And obviously it was, this was pre-pandemic. Um, we filmed just before the pandemic, actually. But um, it, it, it sort of eerily foreboding in a way because it really did capture that kind of feeling of that sort of like quite <laughs> desolate isolation i think a lot of us have been through yeah there's a there's a scene set in a in a snowstorm which i, I i'm not entirely sure how you, you did that because it looked absolutely ferocious what was the what was the reality like for you the reality was we filmed the film in two in two parts we did it in summer um in august and then we came back and did i, I went and shot pieces of all and actually in between and then we came back and did um, the winter section, which was in November. Yeah. And so we were sort of hoping for loads of snow, but actually there wasn't much. So the Romanian crew had to, <laughs> had to like, I mean, God, poor things, haul loads of these huge fans up to this remote valley. I'd, God knows where they got them from and, um, and blast fake snow at everyone. So that, that was actually the reality of it. They did pretty well. It was only a section of the valley, and then obviously they had to clean it all up and everything. But that was that was it. It was actually just several men blowing fans at, at, at me on a horse. It's <laughs> <laughs> the reality, I'm afraid. Ah, uh, the glamour of movie making. Yeah, it is the most unglamorous, honestly. I mean, I don't even know how movie making got glamorous. Um, I mean, the actual making of a movie, I don't know. How it got that reputation? <laughs> yes, when you get to trailers and <laughs> craft services and dark, yeah. dark sets, uh, it it yeah feels slightly unglamorous. Not complaining. I, I love it, and I'm yeah. ever grateful that I get to you know, but I've been do such a silly job. But um, so the the fact that you filmed pieces of a woman, and by the way, congratulations on the on the Oscar nomination. Um, in between both parts of this is. Fairly astonishing. Uh, how do you? How did you manage to compartmentalize? Well, I can't even say that. It's seven thirty in the morning for this. Look at me. How did you manage to compartmentalize that? How, did you? Did you keep tally? 
in the back of your mind for a while when you, whilst you went off to shoot pieces of a woman? How, or how did that work? Yeah, actually, I realized I got it wrong. I went to go and rehearse and do what we're doing now um, in New York with Cornell and Shire uh, and Ellen. And then I came, came back to Romania to shoot the rest of Tally. And then the next day I flew to shoot Martha. It was, it was interesting, actually. Like, and and I'm, I'm doing this with this film. Suddenly there's a film called The Sun, which is Florence Zeller's next film. And I'm sort of filming that. They're, they're both, both filming them back to back. And it's, I was just thinking, God, it's strange that this happens to me, where I have to literally film two films in tandem, essentially, and try and keep them both in my mind. And I sort of, because, it, because of last time, the thing that I really got to explore, I guess, actually, is... is Often people described them because they shared crew. They shared the same editor. In fact, they shared the same hair and makeup designer and, and the directors were both friends. And I sort of found them as, I, I realized they were sort of sister productions and really they're about ultimately, you know, someone, someone navigating or a group of people navigating grief because Abigail's lost her child and Martha's lost a child. And I was so grateful that I was playing Tally, mm-hmm. the other side of it that was sort of like, um, holding space for that person to go through it. And then I could go into Martha and be the woman that was actually grieving. And the thing that helped most, I think, was really, um, I guess, if I, I personally have always believed that acting is, is literally simply about thoughts. It's not necessarily about the thoughts inform the exterior and the appearance and what's coming across, but really ultimately it begins with the thoughts in your mind. And with Tally and Martha, they just had such opposing, yeah, opposite thoughts that that was the thing that really helped me. And it was, it was a brilliant ex- acting exercise, actually, because Tally was somebody who thought beyond the room she was in always, you know, and that thought outward, wanted more, like had an imagination for just way beyond the boundaries of her, of the limitations of what was expected and what was told she should do, be, feel, you know, um, specifically defined by her gender. And I just thought of all those women in those, time, those times who were given the thing, you know, the, the, the responsibility of, of just keeping the home going and being a good, good um, a woman, body, uh, servitude type, you know, distant yeah. um, to your husband. And all those women who were capable of so much more and had bigger dreams and and dared to dream that there might be something beyond that and that never got to experience it. And these two women in this film obviously get it with each other for a brief moment in their lives. But, and then Martha in, in pieces was someone who, because of what happened and anyway, I think was, a, was, sl- uh, was more of an introvert, but in this film, because of what the, the trauma she goes through, obviously sort of quite literally turns in on herself. So it's almost the opposite action. Mm. Even in a room, she sort of, sort of gone so deeply inside herself inaccessibly so you know where no one could reach her at all mm. and that's what her manifestation of grief is you know and and, and turned turned in on herself and turned on herself i think in in some sort of um blame and extreme shame and you know obviously colossal grief and so they were sort of two completely different different energy types and energy vibrations really so it was it was really really interesting and helpful because of that i think it would have been very hard if i played abigail in the world to come honestly it's such a beautiful, uh, tender love story, but it's also because of the times, because of you know the, the nature of of Tally's husband in particular, uh, Christopher Abbott, who's who's terrifying. Um, it's it's a, I felt myself on on uh, on a knife edge the entire time, um, uh, which is which is really really interesting about how these these wonderful 
smart, fiercely intelligent women are hemmed in by the by the you know, by the, the the social mores of the time and by their very limited husbands. Uh, so there's there's these different elements of there's potential impending tragedy about this relationship that surely can't work out uh, and the threat of discovery at any second. It's, it's, I thought the, the layers there were really interesting. I think it's so easy to forget. I mean, for me, I, I remember, you know, Catherine and I were reading these like books about sort of etiquette at the time and what was expected of a woman in those days in that place. And the, there's whole textbooks on how to behave. And do you know, my sister found this, this um, thing the other day, I don't know whether it was on Instagram or something, and it was uh, advice for housewives from the from the 1950s or 1960s, and it's basically the same, Chris. Like, like we were howling, but also seriously depressed because it yes. wasn't that bloody long ago, you know. And it was saying, make sure when your husband comes home, whatever happens, you're in a good mood. Don't ask him about his day; he might have had a bad one. Put his feet up, make him a nice gin and tonic. Um, bring it to me on the couch and st- and stroke his head soothingly. Oh. And this is like a serious page of like th- of, of things one must do, you know. And you just <laughs> and it just and it makes sure the house is fully clean. Don't leave a spot anywhere because he may have had a really bad day. Because you know he's earning the money and he keeps everything going. He keeps yeah. it, he keeps her going in, in every way. And I just I did. You, so I guess this this in the 1860s in this film is. I found it when I read it, kind of one of those rare representations of, of truly our kind of ancestors, really, and where we've come from. And it's obviously we have relative freedoms now and choices of what we do with our time, what we eat, what we, what we want to do with our lives and who we love, you know, comparatively and not everywhere in the world, my God, but, you know, we're very lucky and privileged to have that. And I, I think it's really easy for us to forget how recent it, it was a form of captivity. Um, and and that, that's just a, that's just a fact. And so I think the, to actually do this movie for me and to sort of live through it and imagine, I just, I'm now really conscious or aware of the difference. Um, I just think, I don't know if I would have fared very well in the, or maybe, 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 maybe I would, maybe it just, it's so normalized, you know, that it's yeah. just, it's just what it is. But Absolutely, and uh, but uh, I do have to let you go, Vanessa, because I know you've got to get to uh, to rehearsal and and start this process of making two movies back to back once again. Um, but before before I do let you go, um, uh, the fact that you are making two movies back to back does that indicate that uh, you won't be receiving that mission call anytime soon, or or is your mission seven slash eight duty done for the time being? I just wrapped um, my scenes on mission seven. In fact, on Monday. So I'm, I'm over and out on, on that. Um, and uh, they've just, I mean, they've been in so many different countries. I, I haven't actually, but they've been in so many different countries doing uh, unbelievable things despite COVID, you know, and, and uh, there's, a, there's a huge motorbike stunt Tom does off a cliff, which honestly makes me feel sick when I watched it. I couldn't quite believe how, how, how daring <laughs> and brave that man is. Oh my God. But um yeah, it's uh, it's been wonderful actually. It's been it's been wonderful to film, despite. I mean, they were one of the first films going back, and I can't tell you how how wonderful it was to just be on a set. And I missed it so much, and realised you know we're we're that that industry is so about lots of people and lots of bodies in one, you know, in a in sometimes confined spaces and in studios and things. And the fact that there was a way to get back when I think the whole industry was decimated. Um, for a time being, was 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 quite amazing. So, 
that and then I think yes I believe I'm coming back for eight after I finish these two movies so maybe I will <laughs> maybe I'll look completely different in eight because I'll be so weather worn from from this one and <laughs> don't know god we'll have to see it's all outside and uh, we're filming in Iceland until November so that's going to be interesting to say the least oh it's gonna it's gonna be fun it's gonna be a lot of fun so uh yeah uh, but I wish you all the best uh, on on that. And this, listen, on mission eight, uh, on mission seven rather, the first day was that motorcycle stunt, which I which I've also seen. They, you know, they showed me the the big featurette where they they you know. They, I thought they might have done. Yeah, I mean, yeah. isn't it amazing? It's really amazing that that gets everyone so pumped up because yeah. yeah, it's quite it's quite incredible. It's almost like it's almost, I don't know how he does outdoes himself every time. I don't I don't know how he thinks of more. And then and then does it and then literally does it like he did that jump, something like a hundred times in a day or something. I can't something like that. <laughs> it was a whole bunch, a whole bunch of times. But yeah, it's it's just mind-boggling what he does. But but here's the thing: mission eight, day one, you steal his thunder. You do a jump just as dangerous. And then every, you know that's everyone's gonna be like, "What the hell's going on here?" That's what I'm thinking. I need to have a word with him and Macquarie and say, "Tom, move up." I just elbow him out of the way. I say, let me take over. <laughs> <laughs> Make it happen. Uh, it's been a pleasure, Vanessa, as always. Thanks so much indeed. And uh, best of luck with everything. Thank you, Chris. What a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, so that was Vanessa Kirby. And we will be talking about the world to come later on in the review section. But for right now, but for right now, the heat is melting my brain. But right now, we're going to be talking about... The Dune. movie news. The Dune oh, section. Lord. The Dune oh, section God. about have, Dune, the film Dune. We have Dune. to talk about other things. We don't have a lot of time. Absolutely. We can dedicate this to Dune. Should we bring, Helen, how should we begin the frame-by-frame frame breakdown of the new Dune trailer? Maybe we should do I a think... spoiler special just for this trailer. Yeah. This trailer oh, is totally immense. Should. It's so good. This is so going to be the film of the year. I can't even begin to tell you how good this trailer is and how much I loved it. Please, by all means, do a spoiler special, but you're going to have to record it and edit it yourselves. <laughs> what could go wrong? Anywho, no, this is, um, yeah, it's a full, proper, full-length trailer for mm. uh, Denis Villeneuve's Dune. It is really Did you exciting. The name? <laughs> I, forgot, I forgot his name for a second. Okay. Look, it's very it's hot here too. It's okay? the heat. It's yes. the heat. This year it grows hot. This is look. This is serious-minded sci-fi. There, are, there are basically. I think there's a joke in this trailer. There's kind of a joke with with Duncan Idaho with Jason Momoa's character. There is. Apart from that, this is serious, proper. No winks, no laughs, no kidding about science fiction in a way that we very, very rarely see in cinema. Certainly not on this scale. And it's kind of more or less narrated by uh, Zendaya's Chani, who. <laughs> will He's, not be in the film. <laughs> well, like, like, and look, we're not giving any spoilers away here. I think we we talked about, or I talked about this to her um, when we, when we did the feature on this in the magazine. You know, she didn't have a lot of days free to film her role in this film. This, I think, is a way of making her more of a presence, perhaps, than than she was uh, initially. And I think that's probably a good choice because she is quite important as a, a, a as a you know a native of Arrakis and as a Fremen. So it's it's a good way of bringing them forward in the story. But it is basically the story of House Atreides, the good good guys, who include Oscar Isaac, Rebecca Ferguson, Timothy Chalamet, who are taking over governance of the planet Arrakis, which is really important to the universe from the baddies, House Harkonnen. They know it's a trap. It's definitely going to be a trap. The Harkonnen are thoroughly baddies. They will definitely have left some traps behind. They're probably going to try and kill them. 
They just have to figure out how. And that's basically the setup for this movie. How are the Harkonnen going to try and turn the world of Dune against our goodies and screw everything up for them? That's the big question, right? So that's kind of all you need to know going into this. But um, but I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, it just, it looks glorious and it's gorgeous. And there are sandworms. And there are Harkonnens, although it bothers me that they're calling them, what do they call them? Harkonnens. 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 Sorry, I'm, that, I'm that, mispronouncing that it. doesn't sit right with me. But anyway, let's move on. I think that's coming from the Herbert family, in fairness. Uh, Frank Herbert obviously wrote the original Herbert. Dune novel. His, <laughs> his son, Brian, has continued the, the, the story. Anyway, How and dare I think they conflict Harkon with pronunciation Harkonnen, in my head? Harkonnen, Harkonnen <laughs> is coming from them. Other than that egregious error, it is extraordinarily <laughs> good. There are Chris knives, there are body shields, there are sandworms, there are Fremen, there are Harkonnens. It just looks so epic and just stunning and beautiful. And Oscar Isaac gives a brilliant fatherly speech to young, you know, Mwadib. And All I just I love it. And oh, it thank you. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I just, the thing that makes me sad about this is it looks so good. And I know that I'm going to love it so much that unless everyone listening to this podcast goes and sees this like five or six times, we're never going to get the second film. So I really need everyone and everyone you know to be forced to go and see this film and then to watch it on streaming services and basically do everything you can to pour money into Warner Brothers coffers so that they let Denis Villeneuve make part <laughs> Yes, two. let's save the giant corporation, Yes, save people. the corporation <laughs> so James can have the second Dune film. In fairness, yeah, this is this is the first half of the of the book, of the first book. I don't think this is a spoiler. This has been widely advertised and talked about. There is a point in the, in the book where I think that will work, but uh, we still want to see the second half, so fingers crossed that they do get to make it. Fingers crossed, because otherwise these two will never shut up about it. But we it's have to so shut up good. about it for the time oh being, because there's lots of other stuff to talk I about not this stop. week. Stopping is the mind killer. Stopping is the <sighs> little death that brings total obliteration. <laughs> I'm sorry, we've stopped geeking it out now. Kill me now. Please, please God, kill me now. <laughs> Look, With let's talk about something more inclusive. Let's talk about something more inclusive, like, I don't know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hey, was there any news about Black Panther? Well, Helen, it's funny you should say that because Michaela Cole has been cast in yeah. Black Panther Wakanda Forever as a character. Super <laughs> exciting anyway. Don't care. Not a character. I love a that character. character. Yes. A dot character. I've long been wondering when they get a character into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> and uh, finally, here we are. So there, there are strong rumors that Namor, the Submariner, is going to be definitely not the bad Namor. guy in Black Panther 2. Okay. So. Obviously, that may well turn out to be, hey, I'm a baddie, but actually by the end of the movie, I'm a goodie. So what do you think Michaela Cole might be? Do you think she might be the true baddie of the film? Or No, I no? hope not. I would like her to be, I don't know, the true goodie of the film. I don't really care. Like, I trust her. Whatever she wants to do, I'm I'm happy to sit here and watch it. But I would, I want to see a, a prominent interesting role for her to sink her teeth into. I, I have, somebody asked me, well, she's got to be Storm, right? And I really, again, Ugh, I, I beg you no. all to stop the X-Men speculation for a little bit longer. But um, I mean, she'd be a great Storm. If she turns out to be Storm, I will be delighted. But I don't, I don't are no. we at X-Men yet? I don't think we're at X-Men yet, are we? Come on. We might be at X-Men yet. Do I don't think? feel that we are. 
also I think it's a little bit reductive. Do you know what I mean? So I just feel like, no, really, we're going to latch on to a prominent black mutant. No, I think there is a wealth, there are a wealth of characters they can draw from, uh, from the Black Panther comics and even, you know, original characters for this film. We don't even know who's going to be the Black Panther at this stage. So there's a lot of speculation, but she's really, really good. I May Destroy You, uh, well, I think- Extraordinary. Pretty much pilot's show of the year, that and normal people last year. Uh, it is an incredible piece of work that she created and starred in. So uh, really anything she does is, is worth paying attention to. Yeah. Wow. If it impressed if people are pilot, then it, you know it's good. Uh, <laughs> there's some other news. It's not news as in it's not been confirmed. In fact, you know, as ever, none of this stuff's been confirmed. Marvel tends to make official confirmations and official announcements with lots of bells and whistles at, at you know, at things that, you know, Kevin Feige stands on stage and goes, please welcome the cast of this movie. And mm. Here's someone you didn't even know was going to be in the MCU, like Mahershala Ali as Blade. And everyone goes, what? There's going to be a Blade movie? <laughs> what? What the hell? So but what, in a couple of years time, they're going to announce the director of the Blade movie is the guy who directed Mogul Mowgli, Basim mm. Tarek. I remember saying that at that Comic-Con, as Mahershala Ali came out on stage. Is that what you said? That's exactly what I said. Uh, um, I didn't take myself at the time, otherwise I would have been proven right this week, because the reports are that Basim <laughs> Tarek is indeed Marvel's lead choice to direct their Blade movie. I mean, it's a super good film, Mogul Mowgli, so uh, like, I think he's great. I think he could do it. I think it'll be interesting to see. Um, there was That is not all the comic book news this week either. Um, we also have a Batgirl Yes, we do. Leslie Grace from In the Heights is going to be Batgirl. Um, now, I was not familiar with her before In the Heights, but I thought she was great in that film. She's really mm -hmm. sparky and likable and energetic, but also had a lot of kind of like angst that she was dealing with there. So, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do with her. I don't know what this version of Batgirl is going to be. It is presumably going to be Batgirl rather than Oracle. Um, although I hope that at some point they they actually explore that character because that would be really groundbreaking to see on screen. But Barbara Gordon is cool and Batgirl can be really awesome. So I hope that they make that work. Yeah, I wonder if it's going to tie into the continuity of the Matt Reeves uh, Batman with Robert Pattinson because Jeffy Wright's the Commissioner Gordon in that one. I mean, maybe, but I, I don't I Look, I, I, you know, we, we have spent a lot of time trying to keep track of Marvel continuity and and... At least they try. DC have just DC given up. DC continuity. I just, I don't, I don't know if I have the strength in me. I feel like it would be yeah. a twenty-four-seven version of when we were trying to figure out that title card in Spider-Man: Homecoming. You know, I feel like it's. I, I, I just, I can't. I can't. I don't have the strength. It's too. I can't. Hard. I can't. I won't. But yes, uh, and it seemed to happen pretty quickly. I mean, I'm sure this has been going on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And weeks but the, the story came out. Testing has begun for Batgirl is between these four actresses. And then literally two days later, and here is Leslie Grace. So yeah, must have nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about Blade. I'm excited about Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. I'm also excited, I suspect it may be all on my own here, about Clark's 3, which was announced yeah. this week. So Kevin Smith uh, says that Lionsgate have won the rights to... Uh, Clark's three, which is or Clark's three, depending on <laughs> where you're from, and it's going to start shooting very, very soon. So he's been back in New Jersey recently, and lots of people assumed that was going to be from All Rats Two, which he has been saying for a while would be his follow up to Jan Silent Bob reboot. Now he's back behind the camera full time, but no, it's going to be Clark slash Clark's three, uh, mm -hmm. and all the old gang is, are back again. So including mm -hmm. Rosario Dawson and uh, other characters from from Clark's two. Very, I'm, I'm excited. I, I, I did see Clark's too, and I liked it. I just, um, 
don't remember a thing about it. So I look forward to revisiting all of them. There was a musical number. Never go arse to mouth. I remember yes. that. I remember that. Okay, that did. Yeah, okay, that's that sunk in. Okay, yeah, great. But that's sure. just general. That's good, that's good life advice. That's, 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 <laughs> that's not just something from the film. There was also news this week that uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson <gasps> seems to have confirmed that we will never see Luke Hobbs again. Did he, though? I felt like he was saying like he wouldn't be in a core Fast and Furious, but I, d- I don't think he necessarily ruled out like being in another... Like two Hobbs, two Shorius. Like he could have done that, maybe. Yeah, but yeah, I don't think he's he's never he's never going to be in the same room as Vin Diesel again. Which is which is in itself Fellini esque. Lest think. Vin Diesel <laughs> starts coaching his acting and tries to improve <laughs> yeah, his that's acting. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Lift a bit, right a bit. I did very much enjoy him and uh, and Emily Blunt just ripping the piss out of Vin Diesel in that interview. Was, Thank uh, God he was there for you. Yes, yeah, it was quite entertaining. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So he has definitely confirmed he will not be in Fast and Furious ten or eleven. But he did say, or any of the other Fast and Furious movies that they're going to be making over there. So again, you could say that. Hobbs and Shaw is his own thing, but Hobbs and Shaw didn't smash out of the park, I think, the yeah. way they wanted to at the box office. So it may mm. well be that we've seen The Rock covered in fake sweat or water, James, if you want, <laughs> for the last time. And that, that would sure be a shame. I'm sure he will live to sweat He'll again in another world. be sweaty in something else. Yeah, come on. <laughs> come on. I mean, Jungle Cruise is coming out next week, guys. You know, it's going to be fun. I will say, I do think The Rock does head sweat better than any other actor on screen. He does very, very good sweat. I thought of two bits more sweat. Two bit, two bit. <laughs> I thought of bit. two more sweats. Two more Go sweats. On, All right. Please. Okay. One, one of the most famous bits of cinematic sweat is the bead of sweat that drips down the doctor's <gasps> head in Total Recall. You know. Uh, also, see Blade Runner. I was going to say the bead of sweat in uh, the first Mission Impossible. That's also sweaty. Yeah, he's sweaty. Yeah, is he yeah, sweaty? That's he different. Sweaty. That's no, but that's he's just sweaty because of heat. Room. It's yeah, a hot it's room, a hot but room, they've though. got the room up to a certain temperature and then yeah, he's sweating yeah. and, and all mm-hmm. sorts. Uh, but I think the greatest single, most successful evocation of what it is like to be sweaty and hot, the point where your clothes are sticking to you and it's clinging and clawing and you have to rip them off and, and be as God intended, is, of course, Ace Ventura, when I nature calls, when know. Ace Ventura is trapped inside that fake rhino and no. has to peel off his undies and the, the way that you know he gets completely naked and the, the, the sound effect, the Foley artist who managed to get the slap right as <laughs> he peels his dripping underpants off. And then, of course, one of the greatest sequences in cinematic history when he has no. to emerge from within the, the you know extended... Asshole. I'm still trying to Grimsby. Can we just not? Yes. Mm. Oh. That mm. is amazing. So is it? that. Boom. Mic drop. Thank you very much. Any other bits of movie news? <laughs> there, I mean, there were a whole bunch of trailers this week. Um, the Last Duel finally got a trailer. Uh, that's the Ridley Scott film with Jodie Comer, um, Adam Driver, and Matt and Ben together again at last. So yes, that's going to be exciting. Hopefully. Yes, that's going to have controversy sticking to it like a limp at that movie. I, I can, I can see all of this. Just because of, yes. I mean, Matt Damon's uh, beard alone is super controversial with me right now. So it certainly looks more epic than I thought it was going to be. The Last Duel, mm. I have to say. What do we think of the trailer for uh, James Wan's Malignant? which is the title of his new film and not a description of James Wan's character. James Wan is a lovely person. He's delightful. Uh, yeah. A delightful, delightful person and not in any way, shape or form malignant. Legal disclaimer finishes. <laughs> it looks scary. I mean, there was a, there was a scary theme to some of this, uh, this week's trailers. Obviously mm-hmm. malignant and also demonic, the new Neil Blomkamp. Um, 
Yes. Put the Wiggins up me. So, yeah. Oh, dear. Silly. That's not good. That's not good. And um, what do we make of the scariest trailer of them all? Jackass forever. Oh, my God. I just, I feel like we've gone back in time 20 years. How is Jackass a thing again? You mean how are they still alive? Is I mean, what, also that. Is what yeah. Also really that. Have they just been in traction for the past kind of decade <laughs> and a half? They've finally healed. So they're going to hurl themselves down a hill in a trolley again. Yeah. At least four of them have recovered from amnesia and two of them have recovered <laughs> from death. So they're, they're back in Jackass forever. And I don't know. I love these movies. I think yeah. they're absolutely hilarious. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. A bloke actually gets bitten on the face by a rattlesnake. Why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? What's wrong with you people? What, what are you doing? But it's a little bit, watching the trailer reminded me, is this actually a very, it's the most thoughtful jackass movie yet. And um, I haven't seen M. Night Shyamalan's old, again, the title of the movie, not a description of M. Night Shyamalan, <laughs> um, uh, who, whilst being in, I'm guessing, his 50s, is not by well any preserved. stretch of the imagination, yeah, old legal disclaimer ends. Uh, but it made me think that's about the aging process and about grappling with mortality. And here is the same thing. You have Johnny Knoxville with now grey hair mm, being he's blown it. out of a ca- He does rock it. Being blown out of a cannon and getting he up to all sorts of- it. Yes. Could, could he have done that the same to Jeff Bezos? I don't know. But um, <laughs> would have been cheaper for sure. But maybe this is in its own way a- a, a treatise, a, a dissection, if you will, uh, of the aging process. I believe you. I think it will be a thoughtful <laughs> treatise on mortality, and I look forward to that. But um, also with fart jokes. Well, obviously. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I do want to mention um, Deborah Granick uh, finally has her follow up to Leave No Trace lined up, which is um, the, just a fantastic, fantastic film. If you saw that in 2018, um, she is going to be adapting a novel called Like No Other, which is described as a contemporary kind of West Side story. So it's a Hasidic girl and secular boy who have a sort of forbidden romance. I hope it's great. Um, but yeah, I just, I'd watch anything she does. I think she's fantastic. Yes, yes, indeed. And hey, I've just remembered, literally as we were about to press record on the show, Jordan Peele has revealed the poster and title for his new film, and the poster looks like it's some sort of weird, dark, well, obviously it's going to be a horror film, uh, with Daniel Kaluuya, Stephen Yeun, and Kiki Palmer, and it is going to be called, quite simply, Nope. Nope. As in, I'm presuming, nope, not doing that, not going there, not going into those things, nope, nope, not doing that. So, yes. I say yes to nope. Yes, yep to nope. Absolutely. Um, I have no idea what it's about from this poster. It looks like a cloud hovering over a town, which also has, I don't know, a string of people coming out of it, a string of just like a string of a kite. I don't know what it is. I want to find out, but I'm also scared. Let's find out more. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, But we have to wait until next year, which sucks. Yeah. Well, kind of everything immediately. Yeah. But anyway, on that note, that is it for the news section, because it is time now for our next guest on the Empire podcast. And it is an actress who shot to prominence a few years ago with her cracking role in Paul Thomas Anderson, the second best Paul Anderson. We all know that. But Paul Thomas Anderson's Phantom Thread and has now twisted it up a storm in this week's M. Night Shyamalan thriller, Old. It is, of course, the wonderful Ficky Creeps. And that's how she told us she pronounced her name, isn't it, Dan? Yes, Chris. Yes. Uh, oh, there's a number of options. Hang on a second. Dan. Hello. Where did you come from? I apparated. Have, how long have you been here? All the time, Chris. <gasps> oh, you heard that stuff we said about you? Oh, no. oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. No. 
<laughs> I can't believe how many people think that of me. But it what, take- that you just creep around listening to people's conversations? It We've takes all a seen lot of- the soapy frogs in the bucket in your basement, Dan. Come on. It's time to, time to own up. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I, I, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> It's too hot. It's too too hot to respond it's to too such hot. things. It's too hot. It's, it's too hot damn hot. Here. It's no, too hot. Please, take keep, please no, keep on keep all on your clothes. All your clothes. Keep on I all am your clothes. getting so hot. I anyway. will take my... Oh, no, no please, please don't, no, Dad. Please, please don't. don't. No. Um, anyway, so, oh, my God. Oh, God, I saw his nipple. <laughs> I did. I genuinely saw Dan's nipple. It will haunt me forever. I Ellen, you were so lucky. I you looked were away looking, for a moment. Thank you God. looked away from the screen. And now I'm the one with the lifelong trauma. Oh, my God. You're su- I was going to say you're surprisingly hairy, Dan, but uh, of course you're not. You're a very hairy man. You're like mm-hmm. a little little hobbit, aren't you? A little, little hairy hobbit man. Uh Anyway, Dan, you uh, graciously agreed to do Figgy Creeps uh, for us. And that, uh, there was a big back and forth, wasn't there, before the interview, because I was listening in, um, about how to pronounce her name. That's yeah. the first option <laughs> she gave us. She gave several options. And, and I thought I went with the one that she seemed to prefer the most. Right. Apologies to Vicky if, if I yes. actually, I think I, 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 I joked, I said, I'm probably just going to say it wrong anyway. And I, apologies to Vicky if I did say it wrong anyway. Yes. I, yes, um, indeed. So there but you here's go. the thing. It seems to be wherever you are from, you will pronounce her name in a slightly different way. So Dan, being from Hobbiton, pronounced it in his way. Crips. Didn't you, Dan? Yeah. Crips. Yeah. Crips. Yeah. Which is how my mum, true story, used to say crisps. She couldn't she couldn't say crisps. She had a mental block about crisps, so she used to call them crips. Would you like some crips? She also couldn't say Bruce Grobelar. He was Bruce Grobeligar. And Martina Navratilova was, I kid you not, Martina Navratilova. Um, <laughs> God rest her soul. God anyway, bless her. Mm. Here, is, uh, here is Dan's interview with Ficky Creeps slash Creps slash Cryeps. Do please enjoy. Welcome, Ficky Creeps, to uh, the uh, Empire podcast. How, how are you doing? And, and where in the world are you? I'm in New York. Okay. Oh, very nice. Okay. For the benefit of, of everyone listening, <laughs> I've just seen a beautiful view of the New York skyline through a window <laughs> over, over Vicky's shoulder. Amazing. And, and, and why are you there? Is it just, are you there for work or are you there to just chill in? No, I'm there to present the movie Old tonight. We have the premiere. Ah, oh, wow. Yes. And I just flew in from Cannes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Gosh. All right. So you, you you're pretty tired. No, pretty pretty full of adrenaline and and, yes. and excited and and energy and everything. That's about it. I think I will be tired when it's over. Then I will get very tired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then you come crashing. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. Well, I mean, old uh, obviously is 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 your your latest film and uh, the latest film from M Night Shyamalan. Um, who sometimes films are sometimes quite hard to define. So, without obviously giving anything away, how how would you describe old? I think it's a semi horror, psycho thriller freak show. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's cool. So, what do you, okay? So, when when you first got the scripts, this must have been actually not that long ago, really, because you moved pretty fast on it, but. What did you think of it? You know, how did you respond to it? So when I got the script, I mean, obviously I realized it was something I've, I hadn't done before. And it's a very different um, type of cinema. It's a very different language of, of, of filmmaking. Um, I had not done before, which was intriguing to me because I'm always interested in things I don't know. I'm very, a very curious person. 
But then also I got to script during the first lockdown. Mm. And it was right when we were all very unsure about everything and starting to get a bit tired of what has been happening and what will be next. And I mean, I was like that. And I remember facing some of my strongest demons, I would say, or ghosts or whatever, facing myself, you know, alone or like with my children, but I, I didn't find it too easy. So when I received this script, it really reached me uh, in a very vulnerable place because it is talking about time. Um, it's talking about our place in our own life and our place in society, which role do I play? I for myself and me with everyone else. Um, what am I, what, what kind of a social person am I? You know, what is my role socially in this world? Um, do I need to always run to make it better? Do I always have to optimize either myself or my life? Or is it about accepting who I am, where I am, the time being? <laughs> so all these questions were in the script and they just really, they really moved me. And also because I'm, I'm also a mother, you know, and I have two children in the same age. And it's not easy. Like anything is not really easy today. I feel like we are living in very difficult times. And as a woman, especially, you know, there's always the question, am I a mother or am I an artist or am I a doctor or am I a surgeon or am I working or am I home or what is my role and which one is leading the other one? And Priska, my role in the movie is really confronted with these questions and even more so because she is then trapped in this special time lapse, I would say. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's interesting what you're saying, actually, because there is that sort of when when do you actually feel the age you are? There's that question that comes up. It's not your character that says it. But it's one of the other characters, but it comes out at one point. It's like, is it normal to not feel the age you are, or is it just because we are in this situation? You know, yeah, that's kind of exactly. I, I, I like I like that whole element to it. But you know, I suppose the one question that keeps going around my head since I saw it is, well, when are you old? When do you become old? <laughs> What's the yes. What's the defining feature? <laughs> it's true because I always felt very old, you know. I remember being a adolescent, I don't know, I was maybe 14 years or 15 years old. And I remember feeling most attached to like older people, really old people. Whenever I would meet someone like my grandmother, or like even older, immediately I would feel a sort of connection. Because I think as a child already, I was always very... um. And I cannot tell you why this is, but I, I was always living in the moment very much. You know, I was not so much interested in um, the games, you know, what is, what is the game I play in, in, in my school or the game I play in my, in my life, in my society. It was, more, it was very, you know, I, I loved nature. I, was, I, was, I used to be talking to trees, you know, I was very much in the moment. And I remember having this special connection with very old people. So I think I felt old, although I was young. So maybe I'm not the person to ask. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So, I mean, uh, the shoot itself, you know, making this film, uh, it seemed that you spent the whole time on a beautiful beach in the Dominican Republic. So, I mean... How did you, how did you get through that? It must have been really hard. <laughs> No, it's 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 a tricky one to answer, you know, because I feel I feel bad 
complaining because he would say, you know, and, and after, I mean, uh, unter dem Strich, we say in German, under the line, you know, breaking it down, I was very thankful to have work in this special time. This I must say, I was very, very thankful. And I think I, not one day went by where I was not aware of that. And I think we all were, but it, the Paradise Beach was more like a, it, it, it was really tough. It was really tough. It was very hot. Um, maybe for me, because I come from, you know, Northern Europe or like not Northern, but kind of like, you know, Berlin. I'm not used to this type of like really hot weather, but it didn't get to me only. I think we had like really special working conditions because it was in the pandemic and we had to be quick. You know, it was not a time you would just like hang around, you know, no one was hanging around at that time, you know, even in the Dominican Republic, everyone was wearing masks and you couldn't go out and everything was closed. And so we would only stay in the hotel or in the car or at the beach. And because of this, you know, the, the working hours were really long. So we were really working like 16 hour days in the bright sunlight and there was no lunch break as such. So we had what we called running lunch again to save time and this was not easy because we were all having a hard time with the weather digesting in this kind of heat or like even with the the food you wouldn't maybe necessarily digest so well or being in, in the sun so long i mean i remember one day it was so hot and the sun was so bright that i couldn't remember my lines and i oh. usually have a very easy memory you know i have almost like a photographic memory but that day i was i was literally struggling to find the words in my brain because my brain had slowed down because of the heat and i also remember one of our cameramen uh fainting uh one day so it it was oh. tough it's not just me it was it was really tough okay okay i mean was there a degree to which that helped the performance because obviously what your character's going through, what all the characters are going through is accelerated aging. Not that I want to make any, you know, crass, broad, you know, comments about what aging does to people, but it obviously uh, affecting you at that accelerated rates. You, you mentioned your brain slowing down and feeling tired. I mean, that, that might've helped. Yes. I mean, the opposite would have unhelped. You know, uh, it, it would not have been good if we were like chilling and having a nice time and eating good food. And uh, I, I think it was like always when you do movies, you know, I remember I had the same on Phantom Thread. When, when time, you know, when, when you're so much in a rush and, and working so hard, you also become almost get into like a meditative um, concentration and you're like super concentrated and it's really about the work. So I do think it, it, it helped. Especially for, you know, the scenes, there are like really long scenes in the movie where we were acting all the time. So it was not like usually, but it was almost like theater play. So yeah. everyone had to be in concentrated and in character, knowing exactly what to do at every moment, you know, no matter if the camera was on you or not, you know. So for this, I think it really helped that we were all like, mostly all the time in a sort of like an, alert mood m mode you know <laughs> yeah ready to go now, how was knight himself to work with then apart, apart from making you do long takes <laughs> <laughs> um for me it was a great experience because it it was as i said very new to me 
So I was able to get to see like a very different approach where you, I would say, if I say it right, but um, where the, the, the visual is like the king of the show, you know, it's all about the visual and how can everyone help in order to catch the right image for the image to carry. And for me, coming from a cinema where it's more like about this psychological universe of the character and it's always plot driven and you know you, you get all this time to to be in your character and like the scenes go on for a long while here it's really like it's very precise work you know it's almost like working in a, in a clockwork each piece needs to work for it all to work in the end mm. and only because one person or maybe a few people have a vision of a certain image so we all are just like a little piece in it and our performance even is divided into pieces, like puzzle pieces. And this was really not easy for me mm. to work this way, that you like, you know, that each scene is also divided in moments. So in like opposed to if I do a movie where um, there's like a, I don't know, like a, like a dinner scene and I, I'm, I'm talking to my husband and, and it's really about the whole dinner and the whole conversation, where am I coming from and where I'm going to, here you would have, because of technical um, reasons and also because of the cutting and because of the special effects and many reasons, you would ha sometimes have like just a segment of a conversation, which would be the scene to be sh shot. Hmm. So I would have to dive into the scene in the middle of the scene and leave it before the end. But I still have to be completely in character and give all of my performance, you know? Yeah. I had never done before. And I was, I, I remember also thinking, being very like impressed, thinking of all the movies I've seen, Hollywood movies, that must have been made the same way or even more so, you know, if, if you talk of like Marvel or like comic shows, thinking, oh my God, this must have been so difficult to, to play, to do, you know. And I was so amazed, you know, in all the, the great performances I've seen in such movies. I was like, wow. Th those actors were really like that was like a marathon like it must be so difficult to do yeah <laughs> so um you touched on the phantom threads earlier which i, I obviously I'd, I'd love to just ask you about because that was the film that for a lot of people in the us and the uk really made us see you you know which was just like yeah for you was that how it felt did it feel like a, a milestone for you did it feel like a breakthrough for you or or was it something different in, in your journey? It's many things. I think it was everything at once. It was, um, you know, I, I got to, to meet my people. Hmm. This is really how it felt. I remember see, meeting PTA for the first time or even Daniel. And it was really, we didn't have to talk and we knew we were thinking the same. And and I immediately knew, oh, yeah, these, these are my people kind of, you know. So it was this very important, I think, for every artist, this very important moment in life where you know in the way you see things or the way you do things, you're not alone, yeah. which is very empowering on one hand. On the other hand, being, what you say, being seen, to me was very, um, almost, I wouldn't say traumatizing, but it really scared me because mm. I had been... I was very happy in my little corner, <laughs> you know, because I was always doing my, my stuff, but just no one saw me. And so 
I think I needed two years to get over it or to get like kind of used to this, that people now know me or know my work or see me. But then again, I think it's normal. I, I just, when I was in Cannes, I bumped into to Bill Murray and uh, I went up to him and I, I mean, he said hi to me then. And then I said, oh, so good. I finally get to meet you because I have to thank you for something. And he said, what is it? And I said, well, I once read a quote from you where you said, um, if this happens to you and what he means is uh, when you suddenly become known and you have not been before in your work, you have to give everyone one asshole year. <laughs> and I remember that the quote really helped me because I, I never became an asshole because I think this happens if you're young and you, you know, you're suddenly famous and then you, you go to parties and you, you know, which I couldn't because I had two children. I was more like struggling. Of how can I keep my life, you know, and what, who am I? What is this, you know? And then I, I was about to say to him that for me, it took me longer, you know, and then he says, and then as I say to him, he says like, oh yeah, I remember saying that. And he said, but you know, now I would say it's two years. And I was like, yes, I was just about to say it's actually two years. It's not just one year. I think this is really the best way to say it. It's just, it, that's what it is. It's on, on one hand, it's of course, it's liberating and it's empowering and it's, wow, I get to do this stuff I really want to do and people respect me for this. And I have not, I don't have to keep on explaining why I prefer silence over talking. Why do I prefer the kind of acting I do, you know, which is more like silent, which is more like in, in pauses than like in all of this talking and talking and, and showing myself. And so this is very empowering. But on the other hand, as a human being, it's, it's, it's very strange, you know. I'm I'm curious about what you've got next. I mean, it might not be what what you're doing next, I, or it might be stuff that you did before old even that's coming out. But you know what what is coming up? You're not going to disappear for two years. I'm I'm assuming. No, 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 no. Okay, no, good. <laughs> now it's the the opposite. Yeah. So now there is there are many things coming. And there's one movie from Barry Levinson called The Survivor, I think, where I play the the wife of a a boxer. Uh, who learned to box in the camps and um, then there will be a little French movie about Algerian war then there will be Berkman Island by Mihans in Love then there will be Hold Me Tight by Mathieu Madrid these, yeah. these two were in Cannes and then there will be a movie called Corsage, Corsage about uh, the Empress Sissi uh, by Marie Kreutzer, like an Austrian uh, director. And then there will be a movie called <laughs> um, Plus Que Jamais, More Than Ever by Emily Atev, who's a French, Iranian, German director. And yeah, and then I'm about to shoot uh, Three Musketeers, which will be my first kind of, you know, commercial kind of capi uh, the French say, like the yeah. The kind of like sword and 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 horses uh, movie. Amazing! You can't go wrong with the Three Musketeers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then also Beckett. Is there a film called Beckett you've done with uh, John yeah, David sorry. Washington? Yeah. <laughs> There's too much. It's coming out on Netflix with JD Washington. Yes. Yeah. Wow, you are busy. That's you know <laughs> that's that's that is exactly the opposite of what you're saying. You're just making up for for lost time of you know lost phantom threads time then 
Well, I just needed, I needed time, you know? I mean, it, and I do think it would have been too rushed, you know? I, I, I first had to understand who I was now, and then I could go work again, I think. Amazing. Well, look, Vicky, thank you so much for yeah, coming on and, and talking. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, so that was Dan's interview with Vicky, last name spelled K-R-I-E-P-S. <laughs> and and while Dan is here, while Dan has apparated in using up his store of flu powder, is that what you use to apparate? No, that's what you use to travel by the flu network. I'm Come on, Chris. For fuck's sake. Isn't it the same thing? Come on, Chris. Of course it isn't. Sounds like she was just making this shit up as she went, no, quite she, frankly. No, she had it all planned out. Did she? Did yeah. she go to her room of requirement and get flu powder and apparate and go there? Two very different things. Very, you can't do one until you turn eighteen, can you? Come on! What a load of shit! <sighs> anyway, we had a point, didn't we? Anyway, Someone? yes, we did have a point. Dan is here. He's only here for a little while. He's oh, look at him. Oh, bless him. So happy to see you, Dan. And Dan is the only person in this virtual room who has seen old. Isn't yeah. that right, Dan? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Technic- technically, I'm still under embargo for 10 minutes, I think. But anyway. Yes, technically you are. But go for it. But this is being broadcast after the embargo lifts. Exactly. So- As your lawyer, oh, it's shit. fine. Oh, I forgot to tell you we're live streaming this right now, Dan. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, old. Oh, also, we should point out before Dan starts, Dan is not in his usual place, uh, which is why he sounds a bit weird and echoey. Where are you, Dan? Uh, I'm in my uh, dining slash games room. Please tell us about M. Night Shyamalan's old. So, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's one of his kind of, you know, it's one of those Twilight Zone episode movies. Uh, and, and I don't mean that in a sort of derogatory way. Uh, Shyamalan himself has said that he, he sees it this way, that, that this is kind of him doing his Twilight Zone thing. It's actually based on a graphic novel, which I have not read, but um, he's taken this idea, which... I think it's pretty obvious what, what it is without, without spoiling anything of, of a group of people, including mm-hmm. a family, a family of four, oh. um, uh, uh, in which uh, Vicky is uh, the mother and uh, Gail Garcia Bernal is the father. Mm-hmm. And they, um, they go to a sort of an exclusive beach resort and get directed to a kind of uh, mystery secret beach that the hotel owner only tells the guests he likes best about. And they go there with a bunch of other people who are also holidaying and include uh, Rufus uh, Sewell. God, I'm, I'm terrible with name pronunciation. You're Sewell. really doing badly Rufus. today, aren't you? That Rufus fella. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they rock up on this, uh, in, on this beach and mm-hmm. uh, discover quite quickly that on this beach, time is weird and makes you age roughly seven years for um, each hour that you are there. This is most evident uh, with the children in the family who are played by different actors in different stages of their very rapid lives. So it really is a, it's a race against time. It's a ticking clock or ticking calendar or something thriller uh, mm. as, as, as they try. They've got to figure out how to get out of here before they all literally just die of old age or whatever illnesses are lurking within them. So, yeah, it's I, I enjoyed it. It has logic lapses, as as I think most of his films do. It doesn't really stand up to much scrutiny once you start really thinking about some of the details. But it's it's an interesting existential horror, really. It is, you know, it's it's the thing that we all fear and that none of us can get away from, which is which is growing old. Um, and it's you know it's quite contemplative in places. Um, it's not all about scares. You know, there's, it's the idea of acceptance as well, you know, about should we be worrying about escaping this and 
just just embrace the moment that that, that, that we have. So so yeah, it's, it's it's a lot going on in there. Um, but like I say, there's some some details could have done with a little more attention. I think. What's the twist? Uh, the twist is uh, they are all actually rabbits. <gasps> I knew it. I had a feeling. I had a feeling. Mm. What do rabbits love? Beaches. Yep. Yeah, made sense. It and made le- sense. And lettuce. But that was, yes. one of the de- that was one of the details I wasn't keen on because there, yeah. was, there was an absence of lettuce. There was, yeah. I mean, I haven't seen it, but I'm just I'm agreeing <laughs> with you. Um, all right. Well, okay. But where would you place this? There's been something of uh, M. Night and Sons. Um, of 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 recent years, you know, so he had uh, mm-hmm. that sort of not very good middle period after his initial crackers. Oh, it's better. It's better than the happening. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. That's <laughs> that's where I was going next. Is it better than the happening? Yes. Is it better than the village? No. Is it better than Lady in the Water? Yes. Is it better than Avatar: The Last Airbender? Yes. I like this is game. It, is it better than the visit? I haven't seen the visit. Is it better than Glass? Yes. Is it better than Split? No. Is it better than Unbreakable? No. Is it better than The Sixth Sense? No. Is it better than Stuart Little, which he wrote? Exactly as good as. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Oh, well, there we go. Finally, finally we have discovered how good old is. I like that. I like that metric. I might do that again. That was the the quickest (laughs) ranking I think we've ever done. Oh my god, he's done well enough to, to make a, a ranking now. Oh hasn't yeah, he? and then oh. I, I, I promise I'll watch the visit if you ask me to do it. All right, okay, it's a deal. <laughs> it's a deal, uh, Dan. I don't think there's an official Empire review yet. So, um, what would you give it out of Dan stars? I would give it three Dan stars. Three Dan stars, and on that Dan shell, it is time for Dan to retreat to his little hobbit hole and play some games. Um, enjoy the lembas bread, Dan. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you. Yay, please, nice to see you. Please Dan. never show me your nipple again. <laughs> no, the other Dan. one. Oh, God. Oh, what? I looked away again. What a shame. (laughs) Your timing is so well, Helen. (laughs) All right. Bye, Dan. Bye. All right. So that was three Dan stars in for M.L.A. Shyamalan's Old. And next up is, oh, we do love a bit of Mads Mikkelsen on the old podcast, don't we, Hells? We do. Oh, he was great in another round just a couple of weeks ago. Mm. He'll be great in all those movies that are coming out next year. I think he's in all the movies that are coming out next year, as far as I can tell. And he is fantastic in Riders of Justice as well, which is a gnarly thriller that isn't quite everything that you think it might be. Helen. Yeah, this one's quite hard to categorise because, you know, some places online have called it an action comedy. And I'll be honest, for large sections of the film, I was like, a comedy? No. <laughs> this is uh, very dramatic at times. It's quite tragic at times. Yeah, It centres around, um, well, it centres around a lot of ideas about fate and uh, coincidence and reality itself and, and the possibility of predicting and, and solving the puzzles of reality. But specifically, it focuses on this little family. Uh, Marcus is Mads Mikkelsen's character, who is the mm-hmm. sort of the father of the family. He's off in Afghanistan with the Dutch armed forces when he is called back because his wife has died in a train accident. Um, his daughter survived, but obviously she's she's very you know traumatised by the whole thing. And it's now up to Marcus to really kind of step up and, and take care of his family's emotional needs in a way that he never really did before. That's one part of what's going on. The other part of what's going on uh, concerns a, a group of scientists who have been trying to build an algorithm that will predict and sort of unravel 
what goes on in the world that will, you know, given that can go off and do its own research and then kind of predict behavior and explain behavior in the world. And they come to Marcus with a theory saying, we think we figured out Mm. that this was not an accident, that someone caused this, and we think we can figure out who, if you want to help us. And of course he does, he wants revenge because that's kind of how his life is built. Uh, so that's kind of the setup of this kind of a revenge saga middle of this film, but it's not a simple kind of taken story of revenge. This is a bit more complicated, it's dealing with a huge number of other issues, and the characters in it are so weird and so unlike anything you would expect in your traditional revenge saga. You know, there are people here who are neurodiverse, there are people here who are clearly struggling with emotional issues and, and sort of mental illness, there are people here who have been through physical trauma and, and whose bodies bear the scar of that, and that is something we don't see very much in cinema, and it is something that really adds to the texture of this um, this this group, but also they're just weird people. Like even aside from from any particular struggles they have, they're weird, weird people with their own little preoccupations, and and yet they kind of find some kind of twisted little family sense among them all. So it's kind of simultaneously quite chilling and violent and weirdly heartwarming and likable. Mm. It's a very strange film in that respect, but just just because it doesn't do what you expect it to do really at any point. And, and I loved that about it. And I thought it was a really good group of, of characters and actors. Um, obviously, Mickelson is never bad, is he? But, you know, I really, really enjoyed, um, and apologies, I'm going to get the pronunciations wrong here. It's a theme. But Largs Brigman is Lenart, um, and Nicholas Bro is Emmentaler. They're just, they're great. They're absolutely great together. So I just, I loved them all and wanted the best for them and was terrified that things would go wrong. Yes, I think you did it right there, but uh, we're not Danish, so I don't know. Um, Anders Thomas Jensen, that's how I would pronounce the director's name as well. Sounds good, but it's yeah. probably like Anders or something, and we're getting the, the, the thing. vowels we, wrong. We, it tends we to were be told way. we were getting Mads Mikkelsen wrong, but um, but if we pronounce his name the way that we were told to pronounce it, then... We don't get to say Mads all the time. We don't get to say that, and we don't get to do the you don't have to be Mads to work here, but it helps joke, which I like to do. So, you know... Sorry. Sorry, Scandinavia. Sorry. It really is. It's a, it's a tricky, tricky conundrum. But anyway, we gave this one four stars. I, I agree with that. We, I sadly, agree with we, that. we don't have a lot of time, so I can't really get into it. But yes, four stars. Uh, I thought this one was absolutely terrific. And um, he's on a roll, isn't he? Our he boy really is. And, and this is another, you know, four uh, Danish men take on essentially an experiment to see if that can improve their lives. It's kind of, it's essentially the same film as another round, just completely different in every way. Yes, there you go. There's a recommendation for you. Four stars then for Writers of Justice. Uh, next up, we have a film starring one of our guests this week. That was Vanessa Kirby, of course, and she stars in The World to Come. Jimbo, tell us about this movie. So this particular film is directed by Mona Fastevold. This is written by Ron Hansen and Jim Shepard, and it's based upon uh, Shepard's story. And it takes place in the 19th century, somewhere in... America. I'm not entirely sure where. It's the American East Coast frontier, I guess. And there are two neighbouring couples, uh, Catherine Waterstone and Casey Affleck are one, and Christopher Abbott and Vanessa Kirby are another. And they live a grindingly punishing, dour and tedious existence on the frontier where they barely have enough food. It's very cold. They don't have Netflix. They and Catherine Waterston gives this incredible low energy kind of uh, uh, narration of this film. And it's just like, July 5th, I woke up this morning and wanted to die. And generally, that's the sort of theme what? of the film. To you be fair, a Russell Crowe impression. 
Is she going, welcome to the new world of cults and monsters? Uh, I do feel a bit like we had in our WhatsApp group as I was watching this the other day. I remember sort of <laughs> texting you like, fuck me, this is a dour slog. Uh, and at one point I just said, she has just given Casey Affleck an enema of molasses, warm water and lard. And I'm beginning to suspect this may be the film's big action set piece. I stand by that assessment. Look, the and performance what did is, I reply? You it replied, that happens off, off screen, screen and you know it. Yeah, so the big action set piece doesn't even happen on screen is what I'm saying. On the one hand, I think the performances are great. And actually, I completely bought Waterston and Kirby's sort of like blossoming romance. They find they're in loveless marriages, both of them, to absolute penises. And they find solace in each other. And actually, it's lovely and it's touching and you really believe it. And you feel the chemistry between them. Uh, and both of their husbands, Casey Affleck and Christopher Abbott, are just the absolute worst. I think I Casey Affleck I don't is agree trying. With that. I don't agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. His name is Dyer, Helen. So obviously, I felt an affinity with oh, him. Obviously, but, yes. Uh, I, mean, I mean, he is trying, but he's still, he's a very dour, miserable man who, as she points out, never wanted to be a farmer and spends his life looking after pigs, which is yeah. no one's idea and of And they're reeling from the loss of their young daughter. So I think, yes. I think he, he is actually a fairly sympathetic character, whereas Christopher yeah, Abbott I, is I not. Agree, so. Christopher Abbott is, okay, Christopher Abbott is the worst. Casey Affleck is just not someone you'd want to spend all day, every day with, which is, I think, where a lot of the sympathy for Catherine Waterston comes from. But like I say, it's, it's really, really well performed and it's beautifully shot and the scenery is stunning but it is really really dour and i found this a slog mm. i i really did find this a slog to get through it was not my idea of happy happy fun times yeah i have to agree i mean i think the sometimes they, they try to wake you up a bit i think with the music which There's a is blizzard. really there is in a your blizzard. face and yeah during the An blizzard experimental scene, jazz during the blizzard it's, what was it's that? kind of weird modern almost atonal music at times like mm. it's really quite confronting but I, I and i thought that was good it was a non-obvious choice and it did add something to the film but um but overall it was yeah it was it was a difficult watch at times and not in a way where i thought it massively paid off that difficulty um so i i i, I don't know I, I i admired it maybe more than i liked it is probably the way to put it um, I should, by the way, give credit where it's due. That's Daniel Bloomberg did the uh, did the score. There is literally a line which goes something on the lines of February twenty third. We had biscuits and dried mackerel for breakfast. Yeah, it is the kind of, and it's it, not a parody. It's the kind of world where somebody gets you some sardines for your birthday, and you're like, "Ooh, sardines!" <laughs> you know, it's it's it's, and God bless us. You know, we should all we should all be grateful that we mm. perhaps don't live in that world. Hundred um, percent. But but uh, but grinding. Uh, hardship is not necessarily the most fun environment for a movie. So why did you uh, not bond with this, but you bonded with, say, First Cow, which plows fairly similar stylistic ground? It does, but but there's an element of almost mischief there that I think is largely lacking here. I think, you know, that was uh, sort of a caper in, at times, whereas this is a, a star-crossed romance, which is, you know, in an already star-crossed situation. You know, it, it felt like there was a bit more leavening to first cow than there is to this one literally. for me. Literally also leavening. Literally, yes, that's, yes, that's there's, lots of, there's lots of bacon. I'm so sorry. <laughs> pretty much no bacon in this. There is some Yeah, because they, like, they probably can't even afford, you know, all the ingredients. It's it's uh, like, and I God bless them, it's a very, very tough environment. I don't want to sound like I'm insensitive to that, but also I feel like I'd live there for two hours myself by the time I finished <laughs> it. So. But, but brilliantly performed, really well acted. Okay, well, you're you're both heathens, and yeah. uh, that may be true. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I really liked it. Good performances, great performances, mm, and I, I did you did you not find that the film gets a little warmer as as they get a little warmer? I mean, as they the molasses begin to thaw enema each other did, out. Did, did did you know? You got to stop focusing on me. the molasses enema. <laughs> you're projecting far too much. <laughs> 
I've already told you no. Yeah, no, the, their, their love scenes were, were really nicely yeah, nicely written. I thought, you know, the, the sort of tentative na- nature of their kind of... It's not even a flirtation. It's too too tentative for that. Neither would mm. quite flirt exactly. But it was just just the kind of falling together and the and the bond forming was 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 sweet. I I just you know it it maybe isn't quite enough to offset some of what you're saying. No, I like that idea that that both of them to a certain extent thought this was all life was, but hoped life could be something more, but saw no evidence of that. And this finally, I thought that was actually really touching. This idea that in this kind of incredibly bleak life and m- miserable existence they find this thing which makes them feel alive mm. for the first mm. time and i think yes. you really felt that again yeah, two brilliant it does, performances. It does give you, that. you really felt and it was it was elating like it really was it made you slightly giddy maybe that's perhaps because something other than feeding pigs was happening on screen i don't know but uh i, I really enjoyed those parts so helen you didn't relate at all to this this story of a really intelligent woman who is boxed <laughs> in by two absolute fucking dickheads <laughs> and finally begins to realize her full potential that didn't connect with you no. it's just the idea of breaking free yeah. is just so far away from my reality you'll never you'll never break free you can't leave she won't let you leave <laughs> oh god you're a heathen anyway luckily i don't agree with you and even more luckily the magazine doesn't agree with you because we gave the world to come four stars fantastic vibrant performances stick with it it is tough going in the first 30 minutes or so, but you will be well rewarded with a very moving and emotional love story. Four stars then for the world to come. Anyway, we are all going to be in agreement, I think, on the next film, the last one we're talking about in this week's review section, which is the wonderful Werewolves Within. Hell's Bells. Spoiler, it's wonderful! Uh, Hooray! Wonderful Werewolves Within, www. Can I just just very quickly point out, this is a film written by someone called Mishnah Wolf. Yes. Nominative determinism in full effect. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so this is freaking delightful. Um, Sam Richardson is our hero. He is a new park ranger who's sent to a a remote uh, town in the middle of winter. His name is Finn. The residents are divided over this pipeline that's being built through the town or proposed to be built. And um, Finn goes around, he meets everybody. Some of them are nice, some of them are freaking awful. But that night, a blizzard knocks out the power. And uh, this telephone line as well. So they're all kind of trapped there. They're all stuck in this town. And then the deaths start and people are being ripped to shreds and the generators as well. And what's going on? And this is very bad indeed. And do what could be causing it? I'm not saying the answer's <laughs> in the title, but maybe it is. Um, it's within. It's, <laughs> oh my God. It's within. Yes. Um but it is, it's, it's a sort of a, in, in some ways, a bit the thing, you know, which is never going to be a bad thing where Chris is concerned, in that it's a snowy environment and no one knows who they can trust and they are stuck in this small uh, area together. But it is so funny. I mean, I think Sam Richardson didn't really get to be particularly funny in, uh, in The Tomorrow War. He gets to do so much more here and you're like, just cast him in all the things, make him my hero in all the movies. He's great. He's so likable. He's such an underdog. He's kind of uh, just been through a bad breakup. He's a bit of a sad sack. He's adorable and you just want the best for him. And yet he has to deal with all of this shit uh, at his first posting in his new job. And yeah, and there is gore and there is humour and there is scary bits and there are funny bits and there are more funny bits. And even though it's based on a game and I couldn't care less, I loved it. That's the biggest thing here, isn't it? It's like, actually, is this the best film based on a video game? I think it might be. It it's might the, actually be. Yeah. 
What's gone over three stars so far based on a game? See, Ever. my favourite video game adaptation thus far was Silent Hill, and only because I thought it did a really good job of capturing the spirit, if not the scares of the game. But even that is, like, at best a three-star film. Yeah, th th this is genuinely good. I don't think anyone, if I'm honest, I don't think many people have played the game. It's a VR-only game, and it's based on, you know, that sort of, like, team-building, awful corporate the werewolves oh. game that people play live. In fact, if you leave, if you read the latest issue of Empire magazine, I write a feature about Lisa Joy in which he talks about said game. But, um, yeah, so this is based on the kind of VR version of that that Ubisoft came out. But when this started, I wasn't sure I was going to like it because this is properly silly, like goofy silly. And normally that rubs me up the wrong way. But I honestly, I think the thing with this is that we, we all talked about The Tomorrow War, which obviously is a work of modern genius and I loved it. But Sam Richardson, <laughs> who provides the bulk of the well, the only laughs, let's be honest, mm. in that particular film, he carries this so effortlessly. He is so charming and so funny. And I think Milana Vaintrub, aka the uh, voice of Squirrel Girl, equally charming equally funny and while i didn't like so many of all the oddball other characters i thought those two whenever they were on screen completely had my attention and you know this is funny it's fun it's stupid it's actually surprising in places i yeah i had a i, I had a ball despite you know instantly not wanting to like it because it's a comedy <laughs> i had a really good time a really really good time werewolves all around james yeah. didn't used to like comedies but he's all right now <laughs> very good very good yeah i gave i give this four full moons yes please don't we've already had dan get the nipples out please don't get your arse <laughs> out that would be that would be terrible that would be the end of us all yeah i love this i love this from the, the it's one of those movies where it just starts so confidently and it's directed so well with such pace and with such humor i just think okay this i'm in really really good hands here i hope they don't fuck it up and they don't fuck it up it's great mm. uh you know I, I i think maybe the first hour is slightly better than what yeah, that's what fair. was to mm. come, mm. Uh, because once bodies start piling up, and spoiler alert, they do start piling up, it, it maybe begins to lose a little bit of its focus. But there's still uh, a number of great jokes. I think Sam Richardson's performance is hilarious. I liked a lot of the supporting characters. I mm. liked Cheyenne Jackson and Michaela Watkins, uh, you know, former SNL alum Michaela Watkins, and the unrecognizable Glenn Fleshler who is a fantastic supporting actor. You'll know him if you watch Billions, who is a sort of mountain man trapper type mm. character. And I literally didn't know it was him until mm. the end credits. Uh, but I thought this was terrific. So terrific, in fact, that I immediately moved to talk to Josh Rubin for a spoiler special podcast. We have yet to do our, for our half of that, but that will be up at some point in the next couple of weeks if you are indeed a subscriber to the spoiler special channel. Four stars then for Werewolves Within. It's cracking get on it. Anyway, that is it for this week's review section, and ordinarily that would be it for this week's Empire Podcast, but there is time for one more little interview treat for you. Unfortunately, Olga Kurylenko's initials aren't the same as our previous guests, Vanessa Kirby and Vicky Creeps, but you know what? That's okay. Ahem. Okay, you see, because... Anyway, what follows next is full of spoilers about a certain Marvel movie that came out recently, so if you haven't seen Black Widow or you wish to remain pure, then either skip the next 15 minutes or so, or considering that we're right at the tail end of the pod, just shut it off altogether. All you're going to miss is a really good interview and a bit where I plug the live show again. But if you're still here, then we shall proceed. Because it is indeed Olga Kurylenko, the Ukrainian actress who surprised us all recently when she popped up in Marvel's Black Widow as a major character, Taskmaster, having not been announced officially in any way whatsoever. All 
very intriguing. So when the chance arose to have a natter with her, I naturally jumped at it. Now, you may be asking, Chris, why isn't this in the Black Widow Spoiler Special podcast, which is almost edited and ready to go live to subscribers? And that's a very good question. Well, a number of reasons, really. It wasn't intended as a full-on spoiler chat, but we got a little bit more in-depth than I had expected. Although there's a little bit of chat in there about some of her earlier work. And with the Black Widow spoiler special already filled to the brim with director Kate Shortland and writer Eric Pearson, I decided to bring you this here as a little bonus. But remember, this is a spoiler-filled, non-spoiler special, so do not listen if you haven't seen Black Widow. Now, please do enjoy this chat with Olga Kurylenko. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the star of Black Widow, Olga Kurylenko. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I'm very good. I'm I'm doing well. Those words, the star of Black Widow, I mean, you have been sitting on this for a long time. This has been a big secret for uh, a long, long time. Yes, uh, we've managed to pull it off, to pull it off, and it's quite extraordinary. Um, it's a long time to keep a secret. Yeah, my mother only found out uh, three days ago. You're kidding <laughs> me. No, I'm not. And it's so funny because uh, a year ago, when it was supposed to come out, she saw uh, the trailer and she came to me like, oh, God, I've seen this amazing trailer for this super cool film. It looks really cool. I said, oh, yeah, which one? She's like, oh, it's called Black Widow. I said, ah, really? Is it, does it, is it interesting? She's like, yeah, I want to go see it. Can we go see it together? I said, Sure. Yeah. She's like, I want to see that film. I said, okay, yeah, sure. I, I get it. <laughs> and I just, I didn't say anything. And I was like, well, that'll be a surprise. And well, <laughs> and we had to wait another year. So, um, and now she's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, so your mother has, she saw the film and she didn't know still. Well, so actually, so she actually, so no, this is how it went. Um, I told her I was in the film. I still didn't tell her what I played. But the funny thing is, you know, my uh, two years ago when I was on set, one day my son came on set mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I just wanted him to show this costume. I mean, you know, he's a little boy. He loved he was like into Spider-Man and Batman at the time. And I knew he'll appreciate it. He had no idea what the name of the movie is and the character. But for him, it was just cool. Right. And so when we um, when we sat down, I wanted to show him some bits of the movie at home and my mother was here and then uh, when the character came on on screen he shouted that's mommy that's mommy and my mom said what do you mean that's not mommy he said no that's mommy so he spilled it <laughs> he he gave it away um he remembered and and my mom was like what is that you i was like yeah he remembers that is me <laughs> so she knew it before i even you know before well she's she, yeah, she didn't see me taking my helmet off. Um, oh my god! She, he just spilled it, spilled it out for her. So yeah, that was funny. Obviously, you you were sworn to secrecy. You had probably signed all kinds of terrifying yes. documents and forms. Whereas yes. your son, he's fine. <laughs> I know, but do you know what? I knew that he couldn't uh, spill it out because he didn't know. Even if he he would have just said, uh, "Oh, I saw mommy putting some cool robot costume." He <laughs> never heard the word taskmaster. He never heard the word Black Widow. I didn't tell him on purpose, just in case, not that he would remember, but he might have, just so that he wouldn't be able to explain. And because he wouldn't be able to explain, he couldn't, you know, even, even he spoke about it, no one would know, which is why I thought it was totally fine. He was too little, you see. He was like just over three years old. So he was, you know, now he's five and a half. So 
Yeah, yeah. Five, three years old, you don't have a Twitter account. You don't suddenly take the Twitter no. and go, you'll never yeah. guess what I just saw. Exactly. Okay. I, he was too little, but I knew he was going to appreciate just the look of it, which is why. And he tried the helmet on, so yeah. <laughs> he, he could be he could be a baby taskmaster. <laughs> well, that's a sequel sorted. <laughs> exactly right. It's a pre. It's a prequel. It's it a prequel is <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You put a helmet on. No one knows. It's totally fine. No one knows. Totally fine. Uh, so yeah, let's let's talk about that in a, in a second as well in terms of the costume and 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 what you had to go through for this. Movie, but I do want to dig in into the the secrecy uh, first of all because it was. I mean, Marvel are pretty good at keeping secrets, but this was a big one. I don't recall a role of this size being kept secret before. So, why the secrecy, and and how did you manage it? How did you manage to pull it off? Well, uh, why the secrecy? I guess because it is. Uh, you know, they obviously did the gender swap, mm-hmm. and. Um, um, they wanted to keep it a, to make it a surprise. Um, and uh, it does work because people are very surprised. People don't expect Taskmaster to be a woman at all. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, in a way it's, you know, it's a, it's a good shock, you know, it's, it's, it's always yeah. good to do that. It's a revelation. And yeah. How, how did I keep the secrecy? Well, I just, you know, I just, Kept my mouth shut. <laughs> That's what you know. Uh, you know, if I'm told not to speak about something, I just don't. I put yeah, I put it away in my mind in like this tiny drawer, and I lock uh-huh. it, lock it up, and then I don't. I make myself forget about it. I don't even remember about it. You know, it's like it's believing that it never happened. Okay. You know that thing? Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. How you, this is how you do it if you want to do it well. That's interesting. Is that something that comes from the old, you know, from 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 Bond? And is that something that comes from <laughs> Oblivion and making these big blockbusters where you can't say anything about anything ahead of time? You know, I think by na- no, I think really by nature, I'm just a person who uh, I think um, I'm able to keep secrets because I, in my life, you know, certain things I didn't speak about uh, by my own choice. For example, when I got the Bond part. And they never asked me to give it a secret, but I never told, uh, I didn't tell my friends for like two months because I, I, I wanted to make sure that my foot is on set before, uh, before I talk about it, just because I don't like talking about things before they're done. It's just not my, you know, I just don't believe it's a good thing. So I, I like to speak after or during, but before it's too early, there's no, no point, you know, bragging about something uh, if it's not done because you know things happen so i just believe in that and i just don't talk all right no fair enough yeah. apart from i now, think it obviously. makes life easier actually <laughs> yeah. no point and then like there's too much talk without nothing you know first first do the thing and then you talk yeah. about it no and obviously you have that thing as well where if you're doing interviews and people know you're in black widow you get nothing but Black Widow questions. And so th- this way, you're just like, I'm, well, I don't know anything. There's, there's, there is yeah, no Black I Widow no as far idea. as I'm concerned. Uh, but yeah, now, exactly. obviously, we know you're in Black Widow. And uh, so I just wanted to ask about, about that as well. How did that come about for you? How did this, how did this come your way? Well, it was, uh, um, it was an offer and uh, I was shocked and I didn't expect it at all. You know, also, I, I didn't, um, you know, I would have thought like for movies like that, there would audition or you know there's such a big it's such a big thing and uh to my pleasant surprise they just they just came and offered me the part and i was like wow amazing i yeah it's one of those things that 
it's just so huge and so exciting that you know you have to pinch yourself to to you know to make sure it's it's true and you know dreaming so yeah i mean to be a mar part of a marvel world is awesome i've i've always loved their films and mm. um and i was i you know you, i do lots of action films and i love doing stunts so i'm very like, i like jumping and throwing myself to the ground and you know flipping over and doing also and doing martial arts so i already like i i enjoy doing that so I always thought, wow, Marvel is perfect. I would love to do it. And there it was. And suddenly it came. So much fun. So much fun. It looks like a it looks like a heck of a lot a heck of a lot of fun. It's a very physical role. How much how much time did you actually spend in the suit under that terrifying helmet? <laughs> well, I spent some enough time, but not all of it. Um okay. uh, not all of it, because of course you can imagine that um with the skills that Taskmaster has, well actually there there are no skills that she doesn't have because yeah. she just mirrors the opponent so anything she there's nothing she can't do and uh usually i'm dubbed i have a one stunt double on a film and in this case i had like three or four stunt doubles because the the, the his taskmaster's capabilities are so broad that not even one stunt person has all those skills under their sleeve so every person, like some people are specialized in one thing, others do jumps, others do, you know, they're like gymnasts and others do martial arts. And it's a combination of all of that. And it's a very complex character. So, yeah, we did. We all brought our bit and uh, that's how the character exists. Uh, but, yeah, I spent uh, the, the time under the suit is um, is a very very hot time <laughs> and heavy time. <laughs> it's hot and heavy, um, um, but it's worth it. The look, look, the look is great, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, when you're when you're out of the suits, it's. Uh, do you, did you see it as two different characters in a way? Because you have Taskmaster, who is this automaton almost, and then you have Antonia, who is, you know, scarred physically and emotionally, and is filled with rage. But it's also this. Interesting confusion. blank slate, yeah, confusion and blank slate yeah. of a character who doesn't really know what's happening to her. That must have been really interesting to to get your teeth into. That's exactly what I love love about this character. It's the duality. It's the conflict. It's this. It's this confusion inside and battling. Like it's the the uh, the existence of good and evil within one person, and you know the lack of control, the lack of free will, the you know. She's been stripped of liberty. She's completely manipulated. And the worst thing is she is controlled. She's manipulated and, you know, in a way, maltreated by her parent. You know, it's, it's bad enough when it's, when it's someone doing it to you. But when it's your family member, it makes it 100 times worse because they're supposed to care for you and only give you love. And suddenly that manipulation is, um, he makes her a weapon of war and, it's uh, and we don't like. I wonder if there is love somewhere or not. But if if it is love, it's uh, it's 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 a sick love. It's a broken love. It's the wrong love because you know they're also you know some people claim they love but they don't know how to love. Yeah. And you know he's himself a broken character. And probably if we went to his past, there are probably reasons why he's become bad because yeah. no one is born bad. I think I think it's very rare when when. Um, someone is born ra b uh, bad uh, mm. if at all it, it, it is possible so 
there is always a reason how we've become something. And with Antonia, I mean, you can go back and realize, well, this is what happened. Yeah, there was a huge, um, huge physical trauma. And, uh, and then there, there is, which creates emotional trauma as well. And you could dig back at her, you know, to, into her relationship with her father prior or after, which we didn't even have time to explore in the film. But I'm, it's a very complicated thing. <clears throat> and I think she is confused because, you know, you're supposed to love your parents, but if parents are abusive, it's almost like you still, you still love them in the way because they're yeah. parents. But yet you suffer and you know that what they're doing is wrong. So that was that is so interesting and fascinating to me because she has both for him. I think she loves him and hates him at the same time, but she cannot not love him. Yeah, it's her father. Do you know what I mean? It's like that thing that's the love is predicted by nature to her. She didn't choose this love just because he is her parent. It's that kind of thing. Does it make sense? Of course, yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's it's. And I, I love that complexity. Yeah, and there's complexity as well with uh, Natasha also, uh, who who is obviously responsible for Antonia's uh, physical condition, but otherwise there's no real enmity there at all. It's it's it, it, Drakov is the real abuser. Drakov is the one who has really put her through the ringer. Uh, so it's interesting that that moment of connection moment of of forgiveness almost of absolution even towards the end of the film between you know between uh, Antonia and Natasha yeah that moment is beautiful and it was like the big moment of course for my character yeah it was important for me to to you know to to get that across that sudden change when the kind of spell goes off and she's um she's not under that control and manipulation anymore and there's a glimpse of uh, reality and and recognition and uh, yeah and those that moment when the two women come head to head together I think it's it's beautiful and for yeah for uh, for uh, Natasha uh, it's it's an important moment because she yeah she she apologizes and she uh, it's like even even heroes and even when you're good and you mean good, you still make mistakes. And it's also interesting. You know, she's not just, she hasn't done things perfectly, Natasha. No. You know, she's, she means good, but she will, you know, <laughs> you know, stumble somewhere. And just like this character, Antonia, who doesn't, didn't choose to be a villain, but was made into that. And to think that the, <laughs> the beginning of it was actually put by the, by our hero, yeah. who is a good guy, yeah. you know. Um, obviously, you know, uh, Natasha didn't make her into into a killing machine, but it's because of her that she suffered this uh, huge physical accident and uh, and almost died. So there is, yeah, she's implicated in a in a strange way. It's it's, it's an interesting uh, dilemma. Absolutely, and uh, I've got to let you go in a second, but I just want to ask about you know, obviously, Antonia is left very much alive uh, at the end. There's, there seems a sense of rehabilitation in her future. Uh, have you had any conversations about, or actually, you know what? You probably have shot a sequel and you just haven't told anyone and <laughs> you're sitting on this massive secret right now. I don't know. I have no idea what you're talking about. I, you have to talk to Marvel. Listen, I, I remembered halfway through that question who I was talking to, the keeper of the secrets. But we shall see. We shall see. We shall see. We shall see. It's been a pleasure. Olga Kurilenko, thank you so much indeed. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, that was okay, Olga Kurilenko. And I hope that you found that more than 
Okay. I'm going to take this time now to shamelessly plug some stuff to the three of you who are still listening. If you want more Olga Kurylenko, then you are in luck. On Tuesday, we launch a limited edition run of six weekly podcasts called Celebrating Cinema, in which I talk to a famous film type every week about their favourite cinema-going memories. And Olga is going to kick us off with a surprise admission about the film that she's seen most down the pictures. No spoilers for me, but it is absolutely not one that you are going to guess. That is a cracking interview. It is going to be a cracking interview series. So keep and peel for a new episode every Tuesday, starting this Tuesday, July 27th. And speaking of spoilers, if you are a subscriber to the spoiler specials, there's a whole ton of content coming your way. This week, you got the In the Heights spoiler special featuring director John M. Chu. And at some point today, you are going to get the last of our Loki spoiler specials. And folks, believe me when I say we have saved the best for last and then some. You're going to get a one-hour interview with Kate Heron, director of all six episodes. And if that weren't enough, you're going to get an exclusive, spoiler-filled interview with the god of mischief himself, one Thomas William Hiddleston. Now, you cannot say fairer than that. Or was that? You want more? Well then, our Black Widow spoiler special with Kate Shortland and writer Eric Pearson will be up on Monday. Holy hell, that's a lot of content. And for just £2.99 a month, and with access to almost 200 amazing spoiler specials from our archives as well, that is a veritable bargain. A veritable bargain. And on that note, that is it for this week's sweltering, sweaty, cracked Empire podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We will be live in an air-conditioned room. Oh, oh praise Jeebus. Hooray! Praise the heavens, we will be in an air-conditioned room at King's Place for our 475th slash 450th <laughs> redo uh, live show episode. As I said at the top of the show, there are still some seats available for that, still some tickets available. Go to kingsplace.co.uk to pick up your tickets. We are resigned to the fact that due to social distancing, we'll be performing to some empty seats, but we like to perform to as few empty seats as possible, <laughs> if that makes any sense. So do come along. Uh, it is going to be one heck of a night. I was going to say here we're going to be joined by, because that's what I usually do, but I'm not going to say it this time, because A, it might change, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but also because it's going to be a surprise. It's going to yeah. be a surprise. And if the guests that I have in mind actually show up in the night, then you're going to be happy. Oh, I'm just going yeah. to say that. Anyway, until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye. Dan's already fucked off. It is goodbye from my two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Arrakis, kiss, bang, bang. Helen O'Hara. Arrakis, kiss, bang, bang. Arrakis, kiss. Uh, yeah, it's a Dune yeah. thing. Yeah. I get it. I get Doodly. it. Yeah. Dune in the brain, this one. Uh, <laughs> luckily, James is not someone who has Dune on the brain. It is goodbye from, oh, for fuck's sake, sandworms. Yes, sandworms. 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 <laughs> that's not even something that's going to be in the film. It's not I even a thing, I feel but it safe is now. in saying it's yeah. just, you know, it's just the way we like to say it. I look forward to the it. scene where uh, Paul Atreides turns the camera and goes, Sandworms! <laughs> I look Good forward to the scene where he gets a molasses enema. <laughs> I think that's going to be in part two, Chris. Okay. They make that. <laughs> anyway, it is goodbye from me. My squadcast name this week is Hansel. He's so hot right now. Hansel. Hansel had no idea. 
I didn't know it could possibly get this hot. Uh, anyway, I'm off to dive straight into the Thames for a cooling soak. So if you see me next week, can I look vaguely like Emil from Robocop after he crashes into the toxic <laughs> waste? That'll explain it. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.